thank you very much. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the January 17th, 2023 uh, meeting of the Milton Conservation Commission. Commission members are appointed to implement the rules and regulations of the State Wetlands Protection Act and the Milton Town Bylaw governing the wetlands. Uh, as a matter of formality, we invite everyone to speak, but to introduce yourselves uh, when you do so for our record. Uh, and the second matter of formality is we introduce ourselves. My name is John Kiernan. I'm just looking across the top. Steve, can you introduce yourself? Steve Ivis, conservation agent. Arthur Doyles. Arthur Doyle, member. Hans Van Lingen. Hans Van Lingen, member. And Wendy. Good evening, I'm Wendy Garpo, commissioner. All right, thank you. That is our quorum tonight. Um, uh, we understand that uh, by prior communications, Todd Hamilton is not available, Ingrid Beatty is not available, and Tom Palmer is not available. But we do have our quorum, so we're ready to proceed. Uh, first uh, is number one on the agenda is order conditions, Turner's Pond. Uh, Pete Jackson, I see you there, sir, somewhere. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. Perfect. Thank you. I'm Peter Jackson. I live in town on Capon Street, but I'm consultant to the Park Department on the Turner's Pond project. Um, the project was submitted back in July, um, and the, um, the commission had a couple of questions that they wanted addressed. Um, I held off holding that because there were cost implications and we had to come up with a strategy for additional funds for the project. Um, but basically there were two, um, there three questions that the commission had. Um, one was a choice of plants for, for the milkweed. Um, I, had, uh, I had butterfly bush specified and both Tom and Ingrid suggested that I use the swamp milkweed instead. And I agree and, and change the plans to uh, specify the swamp milkweed. Um, Ingrid has suggested that we look into providing a stabilized binder for the new path material to increase the longevity. Um, and the park department has agreed to do that. We looked into uh, a specification um, and the additional costs, and that was part of the, the cost delay. Um, and we will be specifying a product, although equivalents can be submitted uh, in a public bid process, but it called organic lock, which has about twice the amount of psyllium per uh, ton in the mix than the soil stabilizer, which we used uh, the first time we did the project back in 2009, 2010. Um, so we should have a, a, a surface that's more stable um, and with greater longevity um, when that's done. Um, the other question or suggestion from Arthur um, was to consider the grading of the path um, in areas where the path slopes from the inland side across the path to make sure that we graded uh, the path so, so that it could drain to the pond as opposed to have a crown in the middle of the path. And um, that certainly will be done. That's kind of a field decision on a case-by-case -case basis. You know, we look at the surrounding landscape, which way it gets graded in there. So um, all three of those uh, suggestions from the commission have been uh, addressed in the resubmittal. So I'm hoping that um, 
that this solves those issues and you, you're able to issue an order of condition, but I'll take any questions. Any questions from commissioners? Hearing none, I just alert the public um, to the fact that a request for revision actually requires two votes. Uh, the first one would be whether or not this would be a significant change. If it is voted as a significant change, it would require a new notice of intent. Uh, if it is not a significant change, if that is, it's a minor change, then we would take a second vote as to whether or not to um, revise the order of conditions as uh, the applicant has requested. Um, it appears to me to be a, a minor uh, revision, and I, I don't know whether or not any commissioners or abutters or members of the public uh, have a comment or would like to ask a question about that issue. Uh, I don't see any hands raised. I hear no voices. Uh, therefore, I will entertain a motion um, to uh, consider this to be a minor revision to the order of conditions that we've already um, issued. Mr. Chairman, I'll move accordingly that this is not a significant change, but a minor modification. All right. Is there a second to that? I second right, that. Thank you, Wendy. Uh, any discussion? Hearing none, we'll take a roll call vote. Um, Arthur, how do you vote? Yes. Hans, how do you vote? Yes. Wendy, how do you vote? Yes. And I, John Kiernan, vote yes as well. Uh, I'll now entertain a motion to approve the revisions as proposed by Peter Jackson. Is there such a motion? So moved, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Doyle. Uh, second. Wendy, th thank you very much for uh, uh, the second. Is there any discussion? Hearing none, we'll take a roll call vote. Uh, Mr. Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Uh, Mr. Van Lingen, how do you vote? Yes. Ms. Carbo, how do you vote? Yes. And I, John Kiernan, vote yes as well. That's unanimous. Pete, thank you very much uh, for all your good work and look forward to the conclusion and completion of this project. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank Thanks. you, Pete. All right. Uh, next on the agenda is um, enforcement order at 11 Wentworth Farm. Hi, good evening, uh, Commission members. I'm Jeff Kane with LAL Engineering Group. I'll be representing the uh, homeowner, um, Nilesh Patel, on this enforcement order. Uh, I was brought in uh, last week um, and filled in. Uh, apparently, there were some issues, obviously, with, with the site out there. Um, my understanding is that the entity controlling that site didn't have a good idea how to implement the limited amount of real uh, requirements on that order conditions. Um, mistakes were made. I think there was some uh, statements made that were incorrect. Um, the owner has acknowledged that and called me in. Hopefully we can try to straighten this out. Uh, we did get a copy of the order. Um, I did meet with Steve out there to try to uh, address the outstanding issues. Um, we believe we do have those addressed. Uh, and as far as the order goes, we'd like to try to move forward if possible. Uh, but I understand there may be some uh, additional concerns with the commission that hopefully between myself and the homeowner that's um, on the meeting tonight we could address. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure how the commission wants to move forward if you want to look at the enforcement order and how we've met the requirements yet or if there's some other um, statements that need to be made. Well I can give a little bit of background and then I'll hand it over to Steve Ivis because he had uh, a direct involvement but I, I learned of the situation I'm going to have to guess as to the date. Uh, I believe it was either um, the 15th or 16th 
of December uh, when there was concern uh, raised about violations of the order conditions. And at that time, this is the, would be the, the week, well, two weeks before Christmas, the end of that week. And uh, there was no general contractor on site, so we didn't have anybody to talk to. Uh, I had asked one of the commission members, Todd Hamilton, to speak to those uh, that were on the site. Uh, and there was some difficulty because of a, a language barrier. Um, and at that point, uh, I sought the assistance of Kathy Bowen, who is uh, a conservation agent at the DPW, as to who the uh, general contractor was or the owner. We, we couldn't find them. But uh, she called the assessor's office and uh, I think identified Mr. Patel. Uh, and I, I had asked, now this, now we, we're up a week now. We're now up somewhere around the 22nd of uh, December. Um, and at that time, we issued the enforcement order and had it uh, served by Mr. Ivis on Mr. Patel. And I, I believe he has responded. Uh, <clears throat> during some of the communications with the general contractor, there was a suggestion that we failed to communicate. Um, there, there was a failure to communicate, but it was because we couldn't find the general contractor who was not on the site. And we, we weren't sure who the owner was, but Mr. Patel has responded appropriately. And we thank you for that, sir. Um, during the, outside the investigation, uh, there was a storm coming that was supposed to be with us on the 22nd and 23rd. And the prediction was up to three inches of rain. Uh, within that 24-hour period. So I asked Todd Hamilton, uh, who's another uh, builder in that general area, to clean the street. So he actually used his equipment and men to clean the street. The concern was that the, the uh, debris would go, go into the uh, storm drainage system. Uh, so he was kind enough to uh, devote his resources to clean the street. Um, and once we got uh, Mr. Patel involved, uh, I think things went along uh, more smoothly at that point. Uh, but during our review and observations, uh, there was a trench that was observed uh, near the driveway that was not on Jeff Kane. I think it was your original plan. Mm -hmm. And there seemed to be some discrepancy in the elevation. Uh, part of that was addressed by, I think there was a new building permit that was required to a foundation permit rather to go, um, I guess one cinder block row above the elevation. And my concern at the time was whether or not the trench was the result of a mistake in elevation, according to the original plans. And I don't know if you've had a chance to look at that, Jeff, to see whether or not uh, there is going to be a request for a revision to the plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, briefly, John, I, I have not dove into it enough to say to you why it happened or exactly what the circumstances were. I can say this, um, the entire site when it was initially designed was always based on the maximum lot coverage by zoning. And all the water and runoff on that site was based on that design, the maximum impervious area. And on our site plan, we have this water routed one way or the other. Um, we have it currently, the, the plan that you saw, and it was always designed to do so, was to be um, kind of swaled around the back of the lot. And then it parallels the rear of the development and ends up back in the detention pond, the rear of, of, at the bottom of the cul-de-sac. I don't see anything initially, or at least offhand looking at now, that changes the quantity or, or final destination of this runoff. Um, 
as far as the height of the building and how they want to handle that drainage in the driveway. I think that's what you're alluding to, kind of what they're doing yeah. up there with that. You are correct. Yeah. yeah um, I haven't looked into it. I don't know if it's necessary. Um, I don't know if it'll work yet, but I can tell you the water that will come off that site has been accounted for, either if it runs to the rear of the lot or if it ends up running out onto the street. All that quantity has been designed in the initial drainage calculations, and it has been designed to handle at the at the um, detention basin at the base of the site. Um, so when it comes to the actual site grading, we've always left a little bit to the site guy on there. You know, it, it's a, the way we put it on our site design works, but it doesn't necessarily mean it has to follow it to a T as far as the engineer is concerned. Now, if it's something that's involving the wetlands, if it's something that's a replication, if it's something that's the pipe discharge out there, that's a different issue. Um, but as far as just holding them to a T to the exact elevations around the property, it's never really designed to do that. Um, the critical elevations in, in grading for us has always been wetlands and the septic areas. And obviously we designed it to work. We want it to work, we want this drainage to run down, but it doesn't mean it's the only way they could do it. I just don't know if it's necessary what they're doing or yet if it will work. And I'm not suggesting that the trench is a bad idea because if it's necessary to handle the appropriate drainage, then that would be an appropriate revision. Uh, I just didn't know if the change in elevation, if there were such a change in elevation was that which caused the need for the drain, the trench. No, I don't, I don't see that yet, John. Um, I saw, we have NAS built the foundation. Um, the foundation is probably six inches higher than it is designed as. That's in the scheme of things that's really irrelevant for the house. The biggest concern we would have with that would either just be the, as long as the house can still meet the zoning requirements for height, um, everything's pretty tight out there. Um, but um, as far as the drainage, I mean, like I said to you, I'm not sure if it's necessary. I'm not sure if it'll work, but even if they had put that in, for whatever reason, belt and suspenders or something like that, the water that's running off that site is accounted for one way or the other. If it enters the street or if it goes to the rear of the lot. If the homeowner is trying to infiltrate someone's site, I can't see that being a bad thing. I just don't know if it's a necessary or even practical thing yet. Understood. Uh, Steve, can you help us? Uh, you were on site, you've been there several times. Can you kind of give us the sequence of events and chronology of corrective remedial action? Sure. I was on site uh, a few days ahead of that rainstorm. And what I saw was a failed uh, erosion control. I went back a couple of days later, it had been fixed. And the general contractor and I had uh, had words, let's just say that, okay? Um, a few days later, I met with the owner um, who was very, very, um, he, he, he agreed to, that, that there had been mistakes made on the site and that he would correct every one of the issues that was on the enforcement order at the time. And uh, as of today, from what I can see from photographs, Jeff, thank you very much for those photos. Uh, everything's been corrected. Uh, uh, there's one uh, discrepancy from the enforcement order, and that's four and a half inch stone. That was really for large equipment. 
we've got one and a half inch stone on the site now. Uh, other things that have been done have been enlarging and, and moving the sign forward, creating a location for parking in front of the house, creating a, a location for not parking in front of the house by putting up some fencing. And uh, I'm very satisfied with what's been done in the very short time in the, in the past week. Thank you, Jeff and Mr. Patel. Thank you. Uh, I, I do have a question because I know there was some discussion between, and I don't know if it was uh, with you, Steve, or, or with Todd Hamilton, but we did issue a cease and desist order on the 22nd to stop all work. Um, yes. After the, the notice was actually served, I talked via the telephone with uh, some workers on site, and, and they asked if they could have an exemption from that to actually bury the silt fence. And because the storm was coming, I thought that was a pretty good idea. Uh, so I, I told them, yes, please go ahead and, and do that. And they did it. And I think you saw that it was properly installed thereafter. Uh, but one of the areas of controversy with the general contractor was that uh, uh, he said he was going to continue to work, uh, notwithstanding the uh, cease and desist order. Do you have any um, evidence, Steve, that after the uh, cease and desist order was served that uh, workers did continue to work in the project. Uh, yes, they did work for at least two days after after we issued this the enforcement order. It ceased and desist. All right, and I, I received uh, a telephone call from Todd Hamilton, who's working in the same general vicinity, uh, and told me on two occasions when uh, he, he saw workers on site. Um, and and maybe maybe the best way to get to the bottom of that is to ask Mr. Patel. Um, what happened and, and why the work continued notwithstanding the stop order work. Yes, uh, thank you very much uh, all the board, board member and chairman. Thank you, Steve, and uh, thank you, Jeff. Uh, uh, first of all, I wanted to apologize that whatever happened at 11 Wentworth Park home, I am going to be living there with my, my wife and my two daughters. My both daughter goes to Milton Academy from many, many years. Plus, I have my older parents, uh, my, my, my father and mother, they are all both are 75. I am not there to create any issue or cause any problem that's going to hurt the environmental because I'm, I'm big in environmental beliefs. What happened is that when we received the C's on the, when we received the order, I was in the Florida with my kids for the Disney for 10 days. And when Todd, when Todd came and told my guys, they all Brazilian and they were working there and they couldn't able to understand. So there was a misunderstanding from us to Todd or Todd to us. Todd definitely passed the message to the people who were working. The misunderstanding was that we cannot work outside, but we had a plumber who were working inside and he was not there, his guys were there. So they couldn't understand the English a language from Todd very well. And that was the communication problem. As soon as I came back and I found out after one, two days, I met with Steve and I stopped. And since then, we haven't been working. And I promise that this will not happen again. And we will make sure that we follow all the orders. And I'm really good friend also with Todd because you know, he's there. He's the one who's making sure everything is what's going on in that uh, development. So I will make sure that this will not happen again. And I'm really sorry what happened. Thank you very much, Mr. Patel. 
Um, are there any uh, questions, uh, statements, or concerns from commissioners? Are there any abutters or members of the public that have a question or would like to make a comment? Right. My view is that uh, I'm, I'm pleased that Mr. Patel has responded positively to the enforcement order, um, but I am concerned, and, and, I, and I think that the remediation has been appropriate, and Steve can attest to that. I am concerned, though, that if we issue an order to stop work and the general contractor decides to continue to work, it makes us a, <laughs> kind of a paper tiger. Uh, and my suggestion is that we should issue a fine. We have authority to issue a fine up to $300 per day per violation. So my suggestion is in this case that we consider this all one violation. Um, and we have uh, approved from Steve and Mr. Patel has said there were a couple of days. So I would suggest a fine in the amount of $600. Um, does anybody have a, a thought or comment on, on that from the commission members? Arthur, yes, I, I see it. John, I just wanted to uh, double check on this as to whether or not when the uh, the uh, stop work order is given, uh, there's a full understanding. Um, we make it clear that that's external and internal work. Yes, sir. And um, I don't know that um, we make that clarification. That's one thing that's been on my mind in this case. Uh, well, I, I can point to a, a, a uh, email from uh, uh, Steve Ivis to Mr. John Hadley, the general contractor. <laughs> and Mr. Ivis said quite succinctly, stop work means stop work. Um, and that was about as clear as it can get. Am I correct, Mr. Ivis? Uh, yes, sir. Does the general contractor speak English? Yes, he does. Yes, sir. So where was the misunderstanding there? So misunderstanding when Todd came over to my house when the guys were working and when we received the order, Todd spoke to the people who are working there, not the general contractor directly. So the general contractor doesn't have control over the site is what you're saying? No, the, the time the time when Todd came and told us that you need to stop work. Yes, he does have a control over the sites. But he did, receive, was, he did receive the cease and desist, correct? Yeah. And then I went, Mr. Steve uh, delivered the order at my house in Quincy. My, my father and mother took it, but they did not open the envelope because I was in Florida. Okay, so it sounds like the exchange said that the contractor did receive, was told about the cease and desist. He said that he wouldn't abide by the cease and desist. Is that correct? Uh, I'm reading the email exchange. That's, that's exactly what he told me. Okay. I just want to be clear because it sounds like there's what you're saying, Mr. Patel, is that there's, there was just a simple misunderstanding of, of a language barrier, but it doesn't sound like your general contractor um, had any issues understanding what, what the direction was. Is that correct? So the, what happened is that, like I said before, what we understood and he understood as well that is, we have to stop the everything what we did outside, but not inside. But when I spoke to Steve and Steve, and we met almost for one hour, and he explained the whole situation, and we stopped it right there. Since then, we have not worked anything, or nobody has stepped in that house yet. So definitely, I'll take the blame for that. 
And just to be clear, has your has your general contractor been provided a full copy of the order of conditions and, and what the full conditions of the site are? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I think, and for the public's benefit, the, the email exchange with Mr. Hadley is pretty direct and, and pretty <laughs> plain speaking. Uh, he said, I don't have to stop. And Steve Ivis on behalf of the commission said, yes, you do. Um, and it was not the, the uh, Brazilian uh, subcontractors that were a problem. They were actually very courteous and very helpful. They're the ones that buried the, the silt fence. Um, so I, I tip my hat to them and, and thank them. Uh, I think the pushback was uh, knowing and um, it was a decision made by Mr. Hadley. And uh, as Hans indicated, he's in charge of the site. And I know it kind of falls into your lap, Mr. Patel, and you've been very courteous and responsive. So I, I thank you for that. Thank um, you. But with respect to Mr. Hadley, I don't think there was any misunderstanding there. That was just, I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, notwithstanding Steve's directive, stop work means stop work. And that's why I think a, a fine is appropriate. No, I understand that, Mr. Chairman. Like, like I said, you know, once the house is done, Mr. Hadley is going to be gone and move on to do the another house. But I'm gonna be in the Milton residence for many, many years. And I'm there to support Milton and I'm there to support everything that I have to do to be an appropriate citizen of Milton. Well, that's very nicely said. I, I thank you for that. Okay. Uh, Wendy, any thoughts, comments? Um, nothing, uh, nothing to add to the conversation. Thank you, John. All right, uh, Hans, any thoughts? Uh, I, I will make the motion myself to um, impose a fine of $600, which would be reflected about $300 per day for violating the cease and desist, desist order. Um, are you looking for a second in that motion? Or are you looking for something? I am, I'm looking for a second. I will That's second that, yes. Okay, thank you, Hans. Uh, is there any discussion? All right, roll call vote, uh, Mr. Doyle. Yes. Mr. Van Lingen? Yes. Ms. Garpo? Yes. And I, John Kiernan? Yes. Um, so uh, we will issue uh, an order for a $600 fine. Um, and Mr. Patel, uh, you've been extremely courteous and Thank responsive, you. and I, I'm uh, grateful for that. Thank you. Yep. And you're I already demonstrating you're a good citizen of Milton. Thank you very much. And I promise this will not happen again. Thank you. So Thank you. just and just to be clear, if I can, is, is the enforcement order removed now? Is it okay for them to start working again? Uh, yeah, we should have made made that as part of the uh, motion as well. But yeah. I, I think it's pretty clear. Steve has indicated that uh, everything's in order there. Correct? Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Mr. Chairman, I'd prefer that we have a motion to lift the stop order, the cease and desist order. That I'll accept that as your motion. Is there a second for that? Wendy, is that your hand saying yes? Okay, you're on mute, that's right. All right, Wendy uh, did second the motion. Uh, any discussion? Hearing none, Mr. Doyle? Yes. Uh, Mr. Van Lingen? Yes. Ms. Capo? I can't hear you. You have to go off. The, Wendy, you're, still on, you're still on mute, Wendy. There we go, yes, <laughs> I vote yes. Thank you very much, we're being recorded. Sorry about that. Right have to be a little formal. Uh, and uh, I try and can vote yes as well. So the, we'll lift the enforcement order and you're good to go. 
And one other question, John, I'm sorry, I know you guys have a big, busy agenda. As far as that driveway drainage goes, does the commission want to see if there's going to be a structural change out there with dry wells or anything like that in the front of the house? Does the commission want to see a plan or are they okay with just going forward with what, with what ends up happening out there either way? Well, let me, let me kick that over uh, to Hans, uh, who's got a lot of site experience on that. Would you consider that a field change to be addressed in the as-built, or should they come in for a, a revision at this stage? I would suggest coming in, to, coming in for a revision, but I mean, I'm um, amenable to a site walk to review. Um, you're, I'm sorry, you're amenable to a site walk? Yeah, to take a look at what's being proposed for the change. I haven't seen what it looks like right now, so... Um, if, if the contractor would like to walk us through what the proposed change is and, and explain, justify how that's going to work, that's fine with me. All right, good. Uh, Jeff, can you uh, accommodate that? We can, yeah. We haven't, like I said, we haven't actually looked at the design yet, um, but we can get in contact with you, Hans, through uh, Kathy, if that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm proposing a site walk with the commission. Oh, the yeah, whole the, commission. The, okay, the so commission we can set it up with yes. the, yeah. And we'll set it up with Kathy, I guess, when we're ready to, to discuss it. Uh, how much time? Because if we, it, it's probably best to set a date yep. um, while we're in session. So um, when's so your next it, uh, field visit scheduled? We don't have one. Okay. Um, how, how much, let me flip it around on you. How much time would it take? <laughs> I mean, could you do it in two weeks? Yeah, absolutely. So... I don't have a calendar. This this Saturday is 2021. 20, the next Saturday is 28. Um, yes. You tell us. Is the 28th uh, too soon for you? We can, I would let's let's do the 28th. If something comes up, I'll give you a week's notice at least. But let's try for the 28th. I might right. Arthur, can Saturday. you make the 28th? I'll check right now. All right, I can. Steve, can you? Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'll be away. Um, for an extended time? Uh, yes, a month and a half. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. John, I'm not available. Is this something that Hans can do? Or that is he requesting that the entire commission uh, wants to do it? You know, my concern is that, you know, one, the overall site condition, I, I just want to make sure people are, are you know, whatever point, but also want to give Mr. Kane the opportunity to take a look at the site to be able to make a determination himself. I don't want to just kind of shoehorn him into um, trying to convince us of a minor change if he believes otherwise. So, well, um, I guess my point, Hans, was, was as I kind of alluded to it, all, I know the drainage on that site is accounted for. And if they feel the urge or the need to put in a dry well, uh, on, offhand, it doesn't, it doesn't affect anything with the outcome of that drainage. Um, I mean, before I give my blessing on it, if I'm going to say, yes, go ahead and do it, I'd like to see just to see if it's even worthwhile to do. But I don't think if it's put in or not put in, actually, I know if it's put in or not put in, it doesn't change the runoff volumes or the treatment rates or the height of the 100-year storm volume in the retention pond at the end of the cul-de-sac. There's no change there. It's, it's more of a shell game of where they're putting this. And if they take a little bit more on the ground, well, I mean, what does that do? It just takes away a little bit from the runoff. I'm just not sure engineering-wise if it's worthwhile even doing. So my only thought would be I would probably go out there and take a couple of shots to see what's the best place to drain this, uh, be it forward or backwards, 
And I would suggest, not suggest, I would um, I would um, put out there that we put it on the as-built, but obviously the commission members have the right to come in to look at the site whenever they want. And I'm happy to meet one, all, or, or whatever members out there if they want to walk through it. I just don't, don't see it's going to change what water, what runoff ends up in the wetlands at the end. I mean, I'd, I'd be happy to take a, a trip out there. I mean, obviously being out there by myself, I don't speak for the entire commission, but I'd be happy to provide whatever input, you know, you feel might be helpful. That that, that makes good sense. And it's kind of a hybrid approach, but uh, Jeff, if you, if you could make a decision as to whether or not the trench is going in or not going in and put it on a plan mm -hmm. and submit to us and simultaneously, if uh, Hans can take a look as a subcommittee, we don't have to be there as a, uh, public announced public meeting, yep. but uh, Hans could act as a subcommittee. So do you still think you could do the plans? Uh, I, I know you have to make some decisions about this, but yeah. is that would doable within two weeks? Yeah, if that works for Hans, if that works for you, um, yeah. I'll, I'll go back to that sec and coordinate through Kathy if that's okay. Um, that's fine with me. And then that's like good. I said, this is a little bit easier. If we're not ready, then I can, you know, I'm just, I'm coordinating with one person, not the whole commission, so. All right, so it, if you can do that, we can get work started again uh, so that Mr. Patel can, you know, continue to seek the completion of his house. Right. But to the extent that the trench goes in, we'd like to see the plan first. Sure. All right, is that all doable? Sounds fair. All right, so I, I think I think we've, um, it, we've we voted to allow the, the uh, work to continue with that caveat that the, the trench portion of it, uh, and if there are any, you know, new drains required or, um, I, I don't know what, what do you do? Would you put it in a dry well or where would it go? My, 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 my understanding is I didn't have a discussion with the general contractor because I said, I'm focusing on this enforcement order, but it <laughs> sounds like they want to do some type of dry well. And, you know, we've done 40 some odd test pits out there with the soils. Um, I'd like to see where he's thinking about putting it to see if it's even worthwhile. Um, if it's going to function, I mean, dry wells with driveways, you've got to maintain them. Or there's just a, uh, a matter of time before they silt up between sand and everything else. Um, so it, it just, I haven't looked at that part of it. I don't know if it makes sense to do it yet. I don't want to just tell um, Nilesh to go do it and throw money at it if it's not going to work. Um, that's really all. Uh, like, I, like I said to you, I'm not concerned about the runoff. I'm more concerned with putting my name on something that might not even be um, worthwhile. So, Understood. So I think we're set. We've got a, a vote for the fine. We've got a vote to allow where to continue. And we've got an agreement that y'all submit plans within two weeks and uh, notify Hans through Kathy. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he can take a look as a subcommittee. Sure. Great. That good? Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Uh, thank you, Mr. Patel. Thank uh, you very much. Can... All right. Thanks all. All right. Good evening. Uh, next Chairman? is the request for tree replacement at 1200 Brush Hill Road. Mr. Chairman? Yes. Um, if we may, just for one moment on the previous uh, matter, um, would it be possible to consider having a boilerplate statement on our future enforcement orders so that where we indicate uh, what is to be mitigated, we would have a statement to the effect that uh, it has to be completed before um, any work, interior, exterior, any work on the site, interior, exterior be done. Just to um, 
uh, eliminate any, any ambiguities and to go through processes that um, we don't have to go through. It might save a lot of time for all the parties. Yeah, it, it might, and I don't mind you know working with the language, but just be alert that we use the state form. For I understand. This is issued by DEP, and it says stop work. Right. Um, the, the notation that I'm referring to is the one that was handwritten um, on the form that said completed before work may continue on site. So if we're going to do that, that we might uh, be more explicit. The simple answer is yes. Great. I, I, I agree. I agree with that. We'll be as explicit uh, as is humanly possible. It looks like there's a couple of spots on that order. You could put that in anyway, either item number two or under uh, B under the finding where you're just specifying the specifics. I'm sure you could just add a sentence to that. Great. Agreed. Thank you for the consideration. Of course. All right. Thank you very much. Are we ready to move on? Thanks. All right. Thank you. Uh, so we're now on tree replacement 1200 Brush Hill Road. Ned, do you have that? on that one yes uh thank you john members of the commission uh ned corcoran representing the brush hill care center uh gershon uh, klein is the client um if you recall we were on a site walk at 1200 brush hill road about early spring it was a combined site work with site walk with the planning board the shade tree advisory committee and the conservation commission to review some trees that had been removed and some stone wall that had been removed from within the town's roadway layout. Um, this is uh, there were a number of trees that had been that had been taken down that were in really poor condition. Um, and the client uh, who is based in Brooklyn, New York, took them down for safety reasons without any understanding that there was a consequence to take removing trees uh, within. Um, the town's layout, and ultimately, as it turns out, at least it also within the Conservation Commission's jurisdiction, as there is a wetland resource owned by DCR across Brush Hill Road. Um, as following that site walk, uh, Jim DeSalle prepared a survey uh, of that uh, of the property line, uh, which I've submitted, and um, uh, he observed old. Um, uh, uh, wetland flags that were placed by LEC some time ago. We don't know when, and we don't know specifically for what project we're trying to get access to that information. Uh, don't have that yet, but there were flags. And so based on those flags and other observations, Jim uh, surveyed and included on the plan, a copy of the sort of the hundred foot setback. And if I can share screen, I can go to those two, the, the plan and show specifically uh, now what we're requesting. Please do, Ned. Great. So can you all see that? Yes, we can. Thanks. Great. Yep. So there's two sheets to mm -hmm. this uh, plan. The first shows the main site entry uh, to 1200 Brush Hill Road. It's the big, large, uh, 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 Brush Hill Care Center was formerly owned by Tom Flatley, who converted it. Um, this is the Flatley Field to the left, which is owned by the town, and the main site drive-in is here. Um, the, the, the property line survey follows this line, 
it's inside the, the stone wall until a point where it jogs to the stone to the town to the stone wall. There were a couple of trees taken down in this location that are within the uh, within the roadway layout. They're subject to the um, the um, uh, the the uh, scenic road bylaw. Um, and on the second sheet, which takes us further up to the hill towards Blue Hill Avenue, there is a secondary access point uh, here, and there were another set of trees that were taken down. There were four trees here, a third one that's within the town's roadway layout, and three inside the stone wall. Uh, you can see this line, which was um, which Jim picked up as the wetland line on, with the LEC flags and the 100 foot setback from that turns into the property and back out. And it appears from the survey that two of the trees that were removed were within Conservation Commission jurisdiction. Uh, we've done a number of things since the survey was done. We have met with uh, Branch Lane and the Shade Tree Advisory Committee for their recommendation. Uh, we started a hearing with the planning board, uh, but the, the outcome of that depends this determination uh, this evening, uh, if there is one, and um, a, a, a modified plan for the replacement of the stone wall that was also um, removed. Um, and that's that's within this area. There was a stone wall that was removed, uh, and we have an obligation to replace. That's outside of this commission's jurisdiction, but it's part of the bigger uh, picture. So we reached agreement um, it, with the Shade Tree Advisory Committee on tree replacement associated with the three trees that are within uh, the town's layout, one of which needs concurrence with the commission because it's also within the commission's jurisdiction here. And that's, I think, a 12-inch stump. And then there's a second 10-inch stump that appears to be inside the 100-foot um, the, the setback. Um, I laid it out in a letter that the, the Shade Tree Advisory Commission and Branch Lane proposed uh, four to one replacement, four trees for each one that was removed um, with it with, uh, and at the time I thought it was three inches. Branch has since indicated that he, he wants two inches because uh, the two inch trees have a better uh, chance of being um, a survival, uh, but, but a total of 12 trees four yellow woods, four white oaks, and four tulips that they would be planted at various locations inside the wall so that they would be not subject to potential damage from snow, uh, salt, um, and uh, other activity. That's a very narrow uh, grass strip between the edge of the pavement and the wall. And we thought for survival purposes, it would be much better if they were planted interior of the wall, so 10 to 15 feet back. Um, and so, uh, and with uh, certain uh, with gator bags or donut holes and with a, with a, a maintenance plan uh, associated with that and a bond to be posted in the amount of $2,100 to assure their survival uh, for two years. What I, as I say in the letter, there were three inch trees. They're requesting, Branch actually changed his request post to two inch trees to assure more survival. And so the question, I guess, yeah, twofold. One is whether the commission would agree with that approach for the 12-inch stump. Um, that is, 
in inside the, the, the town's right of way and uh, separately, would you agree to a similar uh, arrangement for the 10 inch stump that is within the Conservation Commission's jurisdiction interior uh, to the property within the, the stone wall? Um, and so that's the that's the purpose of this evening is to propose uh, a, a tree planting uh, schedule. So um, it would be a total of those four trees plus um, at, uh, so I guess, if we were going with the inch per inch, we would have to increase the number of trees associated with the number of, of, of inches to replace the 12 inch tree. And we would do four three inch trees uh, to replace the 10 um, uh, rather than go to two, unless the commission agreed with Branch Lane that a two, two inches would be a, a sure better survival rate. Well, I don't think we'll we'll get hung up on the survival rate because you know whatever size they should be designed to survive, um, but we're kind of hung up on the math part of it. Sure. Now, uh, the inches that you're referring to is this diameter? It's not circumference, correct? Uh, it, it's the diameter of the stump, and mm -hmm. so we don't know what the, the what the what the diameter or circumference would be at breast height because the trees have been are long gone. Uh, we're going with the with the with what's uh, what we know is that the, the the size of the stumps that are remaining. All right, from a mathematical perspective, I don't think it matters whether or not you use diameter or circumference as long as you're consistent. Yep. Um, but we, we do require the same number. So the way the reg is is um, designed, it's the sum of the circumference inches right. must be replaced. So it would be the same, the sum of the diameter inches must be replaced. So if by going to from three inches, four times three would be 12, that would be uh, appropriate for the 12 inch stump. But if you go to two inches, you've got to increase the number of correct of trees. Understood. Um, and so I guess that's, so as I, as I understand the, the obligation here obviously is to replace the number of inches. So we need a total of 22 inches between the replacement of the two stumps. Um, and, and however we break those out relative to where we net out with branch, I guess, on the size of the tree uh, would be appropriate. You are correct. Okay. Right. If the two inches have, have a better survival rate, then we, we agree with that. Okay. We're trying to have trees that survive. Right. But as long as the math works out, Okay. So you would have, if they're two inch trees, you'd have 11 to get to the 22 inches. Um, if there were three, you'd have seven point something. Right. Um, and we proposed eight. So, you know, mm -hmm. we started with the proposal of eight if there were three inch trees. Right, which would be fine. That would be 24 inches. That's right. Um, so what what would it, if, if you add them up here, which, which one are you? I'm looking at your letter. You've got four yellow wood at three inches per tree. Are you changing that to six yellow woods at 22 no, inches? That would, I mean, two that inches? Would, the, the two trees that are within your jurisdiction that would be subject to this caliper issue would be the third and the fourth. The third, which is to replace the 12 inch stump, yep. would be four tulips or six tulips at either three inches or two inches. And then the, the, the the last would to replace the 10 inch stump would be four three inch trees of a of, of a um, 
specimen to be determined. Um, the, 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 the Shade Tree Advisory Committee had a particular desire for four of each of those three types of trees. They thought it would be more pleasing and a more appropriate um, set of trees. We could do, um, you know, an additional yellowwood, an additional white oak, two additional tulips uh, to account for that 10 inch um, stump. I don't know if the co commission has a particular preference of the type of tree that trees that they would like to see other than sort of um, add on to what's what was agreed to with the stack. I, I always I don't have a particular preference as long as they're native. Right. Uh, but I, I always defer to, you know, Wendy and uh, Ingrid and Tom Palmer and Steve and, you know, those that are much more uh, conversant with the different kinds of trees. Steve, do you have any thoughts on the kinds of trees? Uh, no, this is a good list, John. Okay, as long as they're native, then we're good. Yes. Yeah, and they have, a, and the stack has a list. Um, and we went through the we went through the list, and they picked out the three types of trees that they thought would be most appropriate here. All right. So that if if on the fourth line there, where you get four three inch per tree, you're going to need five two inch trees, correct? We need five two inch trees. If we go with the two inches, it'll be four three. So I, I can. So, so perhaps the best thing to say would be um, four three-inch tulips or six two-inch tulips and four three-inch or, or five two-inch of a combination of the three types above. You are correct, sir. Okay. That makes sense. Steve, did you get all that? I did. Mr. Chair, <coughs> I just have a comment. Yes. Uh, that's a scenic road, um, and the uh, yellow wood is cross <coughs> seasonally a very, very attractive uh, tree, uh, contrasted with the um, tulip. So my suggestion would be, if you're going to have a ratio, that you might have more of the yellow woods than the tulips. Okay. We can... Uh, happy to make the 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 trees that replace the ten inch yellow ones. And this goes back to the planning board on February 9th. Um, so their their order would adopt um, the combination of the stack recommendation and the commission's recommendation as part of the scenic road um, hearing. Sounds good. Any other questions, comments from commissioners? I don't I see any hands or um, hear any voices. I thought Cheryl uh, Tugas was, was on the call. Is, are you there, Cheryl? I can't see because of the uh, I can stop uh, screen, sharing screen sharing. Hello, John. It's Cheryl Tugayas. Thank you. I am just uh, observing tonight um, so that I am informed for our planning board meeting. But thank you for uh, noticing that I'm here. Okay, okay, good. All right, thank you very much. Any uh, questions from abutters or members of the public? Hearing none. Uh, and do we, is there anybody here? I'm not getting through this fast enough uh, from the historic. Uh, society because I, I I think they were there at our site walk Ned correct they were in fact um, I was before them 
on January 9th to deal with the wall and the design of the wall. They had some comments on the on the approach to the design of the wall, and we were working on a redesign to go back to them with. Um, and but they were fine when I met with them with respect to the trees. They were they were more specifically focused on the wall and the design of the wall. And their recommendation also goes to the planning board as part of its final determination on the on the overall application under the scenic road uh, bylaw permit. Perfect. Thanks. Um, uh, if there are no other comments, is there a motion to approve the amended proposal so that the the uh, the number the numbers match? It looks like six two inch trees and five two inch trees, um, and uh, with the emphasis upon the yellow wood. So is there such a chairman? Yes. All right. Thank you, Mr. Doyle. Is there a second to that? Thank you, Hans, for seconding that. Any discussion? Hearing none, roll call vote. Uh, vote. Arthur Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Hans Van Lingen, how do you vote? Yes. Wendy Garpo, how do you vote? Yes. And I, John Kiernan, vote yes as well. That's unanimous. Thank you very much, Ned. I appreciate it. Great. Thank you. Next on the agenda is uh, Notice of Intent 9 Myers Lane. Hey, good evening, Mr. Hey, good evening. Uh, if you recall, I was at the last meeting. I proposed to build a two-car garage, and then you folks kind of came to my property and pointed out that there's a different law that says you can't build within 25 feet of the flood zone. So we added this line, this flood zone, which means I cannot build a garage there. And I then thought, you kindly said, why don't you, maybe you can move the garage. Um, if I were to move this this way, um, well, one, there's a steep, steep incline here. It would be quite expensive, but also it would block off any ability for me to have guests over. So I'm here today to ask if I could replace this garage idea with simply, a, a, ideally, a deck that's sort of a, a carport. I wonder if that would, like I said, two things. Could I remove the garage idea, as I said, replace it with a sort of a deck that would also be a carport, so I'd still have that garage idea. And I also want to propose, I, I get a lot of, this whole area is blacktop. As part of building a deck, I'd want to rip off, rip up some of this asphalt to prevent all the water coming down here. Um, so I don't know if the carport idea is, <clears throat> I'd even live with like a deck if that's, if that's livable, suitable. Well, I'm, I'm lost because okay. you were you're talking about a carport, I'm assuming you're putting a, a car on something, but it's right. Then you're going to tear up the macadam. So what's it going to be? Okay, let me get you back. All right. So this whole area, uh, I've only owned the place for two years, but long ago, because it's looking old, this whole thing is 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 blacktop or asphalt, as you call it, asphalt through this whole thing. I think the original plan I was I was telling you, as you see here, was obviously to dig down and build a, a, a classic garage, two-car garage uh, attached to the house. Uh, dur during the site visit, you told me that um, there's a law that for prohibits me from building us, I think, a structure within 25 feet of the flood zone. 
which is this line here. This is the official flood zone line. I think in my mind I was close to it, but now I understand that I can't build a structure within 25 feet of the flood zone. So I'm wondering if an alternative is I could build a deck. But what would be under the deck? Is Correct. it pervious <clears throat> or impervious? Currently it's, it's impervious because this is all asphalt. But what I would like to do is rip up the asphalt and replace it with gravel. So that would be uh, then pervious under a um, deck. What I heard what you said before that if you were to slide the, the proposed garage forward, yep. it would definitely narrow the driveway, but why would that cut off guests parking there? Because I we were there, we saw that whole yep. area as McAdam. Well, there's two problems. You also can't build within 25 feet of, of the front part here. So that puts me here. And so the 20, I could have paid a more, little more money to put another line here, but effectively the 25 feet from the flood zone is here. I'd effectively have to put it. Um, to the front of the house. To, or, or to the front of the house, that's an idea. No, not on the front, but. <clears throat> but uh, Forward uh, here. Yes, exactly. But this, this itself is 27 feet where it's at. So I can really only move two feet forward because there's also a zoning residence says I can't build within 25 feet of the front property, right? So I'm kind of running into, I can't go this too far this way. I can't even build in here. So that's why I'm proposing an alternate, which is, all right, I'll give up on the garage. Could we build a, a deck, ideally a carport? slash deck. You know, we always try to be consistent. We just denied um, the same um, kind of situation. What, what's the name of the street that runs between Canton Avenue and, and Blue Hill Avenue? Um, there's there's Canton, there's Robbins. No, no, go go way up. Uh, oh, you know, Dan O'Malley lives on the, the street. It's up as you're heading towards Upper Canton Avenue. Um, I think it's, is it the last right that you can take before you get up towards the Walcott estate? And it drives, we've been on that corner lot. It's on the corner of this lane and- right. Robbins, yeah, it's Robbins and Myers. Yeah, no? No, no, no it's not, it's not. Okay, um, uh, not near me, okay. <clears throat> no, it's not, it's, it's much further okay. up towards uh, the Blue Hill ski slope in, in that area. Okay. Uh, we bet we were just at a house there and they proposed to essentially cantilever a deck over the 25 foot. And, and we denied that. I just want to be consistent with that because I think that's what you're suggesting that you build over it. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm still looking to see how you can maneuver this to, to stay yeah, out to, of the jurisdiction. Well, the jurisdiction is all the way up here. This is the 100 foot line. For one, yeah, that that's 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 not a that's not a problem. We're trying to work with you to yeah. see if there's a creative way to get this get this but done. But you got to stay forward. out of twenty five feet. Yeah, and so not uh, I'm not even allowed to build a deck with within. I, I'm not proposing to build a deck within the flood zone. I'm proposing that part of a deck would go over um, in in 
or is that the problem that the, the posts would be yeah understood, understood. yeah the, the posts would be in the not in the flood zone but within the 25 feet from the flood zone Steve Ivis, you got to help me. Why am I drawing a blank? I was trying to equate, because if you look at, well, obviously I didn't read it enough, but if I spent a couple of years and turned this into lawn, I think, right? And then you can, you're allowed to change from deck to, I'm sorry, lawn to deck, right? No. Minor, as a minor exception? I don't know what you mean by minor exception, but no is the answer. That's why I brought up the case. We, we just, we had the same uh, issue. Uh, and they weren't even going to put a post in the ground. They just wanted to cantilever it over it. Um, it, it so it extended okay. the 25 foot non-disturbance zone. And if you know we didn't allow them, it would be inconsistent of us to allow you. But I'm still I'm still looking to see. <coughs> could you could you? It's macadam now. So what if you made the garage or the carport, whatever you want, and made it narrower, moved it just two feet forward and made it narrower and drove in from, you like, you, you did like a circle because it's already, okay. you're right, That's just like that, exactly. But made the, pro, the proposed deck narrower than that, just to get it out of, you've got two 25 foot zones you're trying to dodge. Yeah, I got, well, as you can see, this is 27 feet already, so I can't go any further than this. And then I'm hearing you. So I can't, well, you can go when they say two, you can't, two feet further than that. <clears throat> You can't even build a deck deck in the in the 25 feet non-disturbance from the flood zone. Correct. Okay. You can't literally can't build anything, not even a, a deck. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's I think Is, can it, can anybody else weigh in on this, commissioners? I, I'm trying to be creative here because we've got a you know cooperative homeowner trying to Yeah, I just want a little deck, you know, so we can in the summertime go out and eat out there and Obviously, it doesn't have to be this big. I can make it a lot smaller, but at, at, at the twenty, yeah, the twenty-five foot line is, yeah, I might just be able to do a deck. Um, you know, skipping all this, it would just be at the 20, 25 foot non-disturbance line. I can put kind of a deck on the side and kind of in the front, and that would be okay, right? As long as it's yes. out, outside Absolutely. the outside the twenty-five, 25 foot. foot. Okay, I was interpreting that wrong. Like a deck would be fine, but literally nothing in the disturbance, the 25 foot zone. Okay. Yes, yes. Correct. Okay. So as, um, I can build a, a deck so long as it's, as I say, outside that 25 foot disturbance. Correct. So and that, that's case, 25 be, foot is not there on your plan. It would be easier to, to be creative and kind of move it around if, if we could see the line. Um, and you both, might want both your- lines, John, that, John, both lines. But, yeah. 25 and the zoning line you need to i'll put that on the plan as well and then um since i'm going to a deck do you need me to i guess pay the engineer again to put the deck on here or or is it okay yes yeah we need a plan to show that it's it's outside of 25 feet all right it's still jurisdictional to us but because that's a perennial stream but but we're trying to work with you to see if there's a way to get it done all right, so I need, yeah, so new plan, no no garage, but rather the 25 foot non-disturbance line. Um, 
and then and then put the 25 foot zoning line and then you can actually see where the the deck could be and and the engineer could could give us a, a conceptual design as to where it would go and how it would fit inside that buildable area yeah and just in case you know when they say this front yard 25 feet does that include a, a deck right like i could have I, deck i, I theater, don't right? know the zoning okay uh, i, I yeah, don't know at this point yeah as i said this is 27 feet so it's looking like i can only build like a five by five uh deck if if, if this applies to decks as well I, I don't know where you get those numbers from well this is uh this is 27 feet to the proposed um front yes garage. so that's 27 feet right there i'm reading here that it's 27.9 so you've got almost feet. three feet you could move it towards the property line three feet yeah move it three feet and then um, and it, it's hard to conceptualize because we don't have the lines on the plan. Yeah, I, I think I'm just out of water here because you know, if I can go three feet this way and I know that for a fact that the, you know, so I can only build a deck like right here and maybe in front, but if I can't build a deck within 25 feet of this property, I think I'm just out. I mean, the other proposal, I could guess I got, I have this back area. Yeah. Yeah, that back area there. What's that rectangle? Uh, you know, with a right there. What's that? That's a. It's just like a little. I think they were calling it a sunroom. It's just a back structure. It's mostly got windows. Um, kind of serves as my current garage. And maybe my permanent garage. What I'm hearing, <clears throat> and then maybe a deck up here. Okay. Um, but I could potentially, yeah, because this again, the flood zones here. I could either build a garage here or a tiny one somehow right here or up here. Uh, David, there may be yeah. a limitation on side lot as well. So just check that out, please. You know what? You're in conservation. I think I'm just, yeah. I, so, so just to be clear, so these, these, this, these apply to deck and full-on structures. I was assuming you could build a deck kind of up next to your neighbor, but um, if you don't know, I'll have to do some research. Mr. Chairman? Yes, sir. Um, if this map were to be revised so as to have um, the conservation line that you were um, suggesting earlier, um, might the applicant um, consider some alternatives that he might be able to uh, before another board for a variance and there's nothing to preclude a request from a variance we can't say that it would be granted or not but at least that's something that the applicant could consider yes Bring, bringing before that other board the information from the conservation commission saying this is jurisdictional con, con, da, 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 da. and I, I i suspect that um David, you really would prefer a garage than a deck. Yeah, but you know, as I said, I was willing to go for a carport or deck. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> but just to just to help think this through in terms of all of the options that might exist. All right. So there I appreciate that. Another option is to get a variance. 
if they approved it, then it would be coming back to the commission to see what, what you thought, right? Well, well if it's outside. As long as you're outside of the, the 25 foot non-disturbance zone, then then it, it wouldn't be an issue for us. Right? Okay, that's good to know. I see what you're saying. Variance would be maybe let me build closer to my neighbor. Um, the big rule here is outside the 25 foot. Yes. Non-disturbance, okay. Yeah, learning a lot here. I didn't know if that applied to decks, so now I know. Um, all right, I think that ends my current course. I don't can't think of anything else. Although I would ask, um, is it okay to convert asphalt to to gravel to improve drainage? Is that something that sure, needs that like sounds architectural like a good idea. drawing, or is that something I can just do? Because they're Kind of get all, as I said, this is all asphalt. The water just kind of runs down and generally go just sits here. But I worry if I don't create better drainage, some of it might go to the brook. So my question is, can I convert? You know, while well, I figure out if I can have a deck or not, convert some of this asphalt at the bottom here to to gravel to improve drainage. It sounds like a good idea. If that's all you're doing, the fastest way to do that would be to file a request for determination of applicability. That that sounds like a no-brainer. If you're making it, if you're making the drainage better, the reason that you'd have to file something, and I suggest an RDA. I'm sorry, request for determination of applicability, known as an RDA, is because once you start grinding up the the uh, uh, the asphalt that can create a real problem for the brook um, because you're okay. using things that, that, that you know, should not be in the brook. Fine. What's that? I, I've heard nothing from Karis, so I wanted to just check in and see if you had any updates. No, I talked to Nick about it today, too. Oh. To see if Arthur, he, you're, on, you're not on mute. Perfect. Thanks. All right. So does that help you? All right. So to remove asphalt and place the gravel, I need a Request for determination. Applicability. Yes. Applicability. applicability. It's a streamlined okay. process. And, and I, you know, I, I know we're sounding like you know, we're bureaucrats throwing up obstacles. We're trying to work with you here, but we have to be consistent in our application of the law. Okay. And that's, well, I'll figure it out, but similar, I'll, it'll result yeah, in Kathy, hearing, or is that? Kathy Bone yeah. will have the form for you, and it's, it's, it's pretty quick. Okay. All right. All right. All right, thank you for your patience. Thank you. All right. Um, all right, next is number five, notice of intent 370 Hillside Street. Yes, um, Jared McGonigal here for Ivy Studio with the Landscape Designers. Hey, good evening and welcome. Good evening. Thank you. What uh, um, what what is the most recent uh, request? Uh, RD is not on the call tonight. He was the uh, the engineer on record. He uh, he was told at the last meeting that he did not attend, uh, did not need to attend this meeting. Um, we have submitted a revised planting plan to Mr. Ivis and Mrs. Bowen, and um, I believe there was some uh, some sci wetland scientist work for RD's consultant. Uh, those were the two items on my list from last meeting. I, uh, Steve Ivis, have you had a chance? Uh, yeah, we have, we have in our packet the uh, email to you and to Kathy with the revised copy uh, 
and I don't have, and it says we have eliminated the juniper plantings around the driveway, thus pulling all plantings further away from the 25 foot no disturbed side and instead adding two river birches for more of our focal view from driveway. Um, I trust this meets with your approval based on the previous feedback and discussions. And I have in my hand the plan from Ivy Studio. Uh, Steve, do you have a reaction to this? Yes, it's a, it's a fine plan. Uh, just in the future, Jared, mm -hmm. um, isn't there a isn't there a cat mint that is a, a native? You've got a non-native cat mint. It's a tiny little, it's a tiny little um, complaint, but we should look for non-native plants whenever possible. That's all. Yeah, Otherwise, we we fine. You mentioned mint. Yeah, yeah. Uh, right, mint before. Yes. We, we like the cat mint for the flower value and it actually does provide uh, bee habitat, um, the flowers as pollinators. Um, I, I know because we get a lot of complaints around pools where we plant it <laughs> oftentimes. <laughs> um, isn't, there a, isn't there a native cat mint? I not that I've was. come across. Uh, Fasini okay. is, is the one um, that's, that's the the hybrid, I think that you're thinking of that that's Japanese. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and that's and that's Walker's Low is a is a common variety that's kind of a bulletproof one. Um, it doesn't it doesn't grow too too quickly and and require all the deadheading. So, um, for its ornamental value, we do we do like it. And we did we did make an effort across the whole plant to um, bring in almost almost nearly all natives. Um, Yes, I, I noted that. Thank you very much for uh, changing the plan. Yeah, sure. And and uh, John, also, uh, I spoke to uh, Debbie Anderson, wetland scientist, and it turns out that we missed—I I missed a separate sheet that was in the package, the notice of intent package. So I'm I'm fine with her work there. Okay. Although those were uh, you were looking for some uh, sighting. Um, yes. Markers within. So, 30 feet or something? Well, I was looking for a list of the plants on the upland side and the wetland side, you know. And, oh, I thought uh, you were I thought you're talking about the delineation line. Yes, that's, I was talking about that. Wetland plants and upland plants on both sides of the line. And she had the sheets there. We just, I just missed them. That's all. All right. So I'm satisfied. All right. Wendy, uh, any comments on the planting plan? Uh, no, looks good to me. Thank you. All right. Hans, Arthur. All right, so th this is actually here for the, uh, it's it's a notice of intent, and this is one for the public's benefit. We've actually been on the site uh, to do a visit. Uh, there were some adjustments made, and uh, they seem to be satisfactory to all commission members. Uh, are there any abutters or members of the public that have a question or a comment? I see no hands and I hear no one. Uh, therefore, is there a motion to approve this uh, latest revision and issue the order of conditions? And we had you know, prior conditions that went along with this that we had discussed at earlier meetings. Um, and Steve, I don't know if you have them in front of you, um, but I know that when we were on sorry, site, Again, I'm sorry, I do not. Okay, um, 
I, I think we are uh, we're pretty comfortable with the plan as revised. The only open piece was the planting plan, which seems to be meet with everyone's approval. So is there a motion to issue the order of conditions? And again, Jared, we, we have our, what I call boilerplate conditions that, you know, uh, hydraulic equipment, uh, gas powered engines can't be stored overnight within our jurisdiction and they cannot be refueled within our jurisdiction. Um, and those are included in all of us. We also want any kind of pre-construction meetings on notice to Mr. Ivis or Ms. Bowen um, so that we can, you know, any construction could begin um, after, uh, it would probably be Steve to make a visit to the site to meet with the contractor. Now, is that after right. the um, erosion controls are installed? Um, exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, so, we'll be the we'll be the primary general contractor. Um, so we'll be we'll be meeting with Mr. Ivis. So. Very good. So with those conditions, is there a motion to approve the order of conditions? Mm -hmm. I'll go ahead and make that motion. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Hans. Second, uh, Wendy, thank you very much. Any discussion? Hearing none, voice uh, roll call vote. Arthur Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Hans Van Lincoln, how do you vote? Yes. And Wendy Carpo, how do you vote? Yes. And I joined Kieran and vote yes as well. That's unanimous. You have your order of conditions and uh, we'll await your contact with Steve for the pre-construction meeting. Does that get, copy of that get emailed to Artie or us? How does the transmittal work for the order? The only delay the will be in getting our signatures, but after that, I guess, Steve, how, how does it get out? Usually uh, by, by certified mail to Artie, most likely. To Artie, okay. Yes. Yeah. All right, good. Great, thank you. I think we're all set. Jared, thank you very much. Have a great night. Thank, thank you. You too. Um, thank you. Next on the agenda is um, number six, which is a notice of intent for 16 Armour Road. <clears throat> and we, we kept it on the agenda just for the public's benefit because at our last meeting, I think it was the 28th of December, we actually voted to issue the order of conditions and it was conditioned upon submission of a plan that showed uh, a trench drain uh, near to Brush Hill Road uh, to intercept any water that was uh, coming down from the higher elevation towards the street and to prevent any overflow onto the sidewalk and to the street. Uh, we did receive that uh, plan with the trench included. It was, um, as, as discussed in my view, I asked Steve, Steve looked at a copy and, and Steve, you can speak for yourself. Does it do what it purports to do? Uh, yes, I believe so. All right, so that actually we've already made a vote on this, but I guess we could formally state that uh, we have accepted your revised plan. Um, actually, I'm looking around. Phil, are you here somewhere? I, I am, Mr. Chairman. Oh, I'm here if you have any questions. Yes. No, I think I think we're good to go. You've already got your order, and I, I think it's been signed, even though we were awaiting before we issued it uh, for the receipt of the plan. We have received receive the plan. So uh, Ms. Bowen should be able to get that in the uh, certified mail to you tomorrow. Terrific. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank you very much. Next on the agenda is Certificate of Compliance 175 Governor Stoughton Lane. That's a continued hearing. Uh, Mr. Doyle, uh, I'm recusing myself from uh, that item. Um, so I will leave the room and can somebody give me a text to bring me back? You won't. Is there any vote that'll occur? I mean, we wouldn't have a quorum at that point. 
Um, yeah, an abstention won't break the, I, I think you still have your quorum, even though I'm abstaining from the, the vote. It, I, are you looking, I don't know what you're looking for anyway. This is, it would require a vote. I just wanted to bring it up. They are looking for a certificate of compliance, John, which would require a vote. Oh dear. Right. Well, an abstention won't I, break the quorum, but uh, I've, I've recused myself, so that that actually might break the quorum. It would. It was that nothing. You agree? I believe it would. Right. Um. Hmm. Um, Mr. Chairman, I had a question too. Is is this specifically 175 Governor Stoughton Lane, or is this Woodlot Drive? The answer, Arthur, is yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I see them as one and the same. It's the, the Pulte development exactly. that I've been recused from. Right. right. Um, and they've, they've got a long way to go for the um, for the stabilization of the soil inside basin number six, by the way. So I'm not sure we should even bring it up at this time, Mr. Chairman, or Mr. Mr. Acting Chairman. Anybody so here from? Uh, from Pulte? From Pulte to say otherwise or to plead otherwise. What if we would defer this until the next meeting? Yes, you should. Circumstances? At, at least the next meeting because we won't have, we won't have, um, let's see, that would be only February. You need to have that stabilized and growing with grass on it uh, in an area that has been a uh, problems with, with stabilization now for at least a year and a half or two years. So we want to make sure that that area is stabilized. In my opinion, Mr. Acting Chairman. I, well, I put this shall on, I leave while you're deciding that? I, I want no part of this. Right. I would I would put this off until at least May or June, frankly, if 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 it were up to me. Oh what if we were to uh consult with the party and see if they're acceptable to that, deferring it minimally into our next meeting for further discussion. Okay with me, Arthur. Hans and Wendy, would that be acceptable to you? That's fine with me. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good, Arthur. Why don't we take that approach and Steve, can you contact them? I'd be happy to. Appreciate it very much. Back to you, Mr. Chairman. All right, we're yep. moving on now. Uh, number eight is Brush Hill Lane and Zero Milton Avenue. <coughs> they have um, in writing requested that this be taken off the list. You know, typically in order to track a project, uh, we give it a date. They've asked us to uh, just pull it off our agenda and uh, when Boston uh, is able to make a determination and, and I have actually requested um, an official opinion from town council as to whether or not our jurisdiction is triggered for the public's benefit. This is a Boston project primarily, um, but a portion of the, the plot of land does uh, cross over the Milton line. So we do have a jurisdictional, I, I believe we have jurisdiction 
uh, over the project, even though the building itself is not going under the land that is in Milton. I've asked for a, an official and, and formal opinion from town council. I haven't received it yet, but they are, are working. My working assumption is that we do have jurisdiction, even though there'll be what I call comity uh, paid to Boston because it's, it's their project. Um, but in any event, the applicant has asked that we take it off. So uh, we've agreed to do so. That's number eight. Number nine and number 10, uh, 1259, they have also requested a continuance um, until the February date. Uh, they're waiting for some other state agencies. Uh, the delay is not on us. It's not within our province. Uh, but I've agreed to extend nine and 10 until the February meeting. Steve, what's the date in February? Um, Valentine's Day, 14 February. 14, okay. All right. That brings us to number 11, Notice of Intent at 648-652 Cannon Avenue. Phil, are you ready to go? We are, Mr. Chairman. I'm sorry, I thought the other hearings were gonna go a bit longer, but we are ready to proceed. Um, thank you for the record, Phil Cordero from Allen and Major Associates here representing the applicant. Uh, the last time we were before the commission, we were in the process of having your engineering consultant review the application materials. And as of December or mid-December, your consultant GZA had issued their peer review letter with some commentary on the application to which uh, the, applica the applicant's team, ourselves at Allen & Major, we provided a response to those comments uh, on December 23rd for the commission's continued review and obviously your consultant's review. Uh, you know, dependent on the commission's pleasure this evening, we're happy to walk through the comments that were raised. I I think I saw Steve, um, your consultant on, Steve, there he is, Steve D'Ambrosio from GZA. I don't know if you wanted to hear from him first and then we could follow up with our discussion as to how we responded to his commentary. Um, but we would look this evening to really just advance our conversations on the application now that the engineering review has been completed. No, Phil, I think the appropriate protocol is for you to proceed as the applicant. Okay, great. So uh, as I mentioned, and let me see if I can bring up, I'm just going to share my screen and stop me at any point along the process. <clears throat> okay, so just confirming that everybody can see my screen. This is simply the letter that went back to the commission and went back to the commission's consultant and I'm just going to go through the elements that are on, that are in the letter and how we can comply with them or otherwise revise the application to address your consultant's concern. Uh, number one, uh, we have an outfall from a flared end section and GZA had requested that we provide calculations that supported the length and width of the riprap that would appear at the flared end. Uh, we provided those calculations as an appendix to this letter and we assert in this response one what those dimensions can actually be. So we have provided those to him. Uh, the, the graphical depiction that was on the plan was close. We were about 0.8 off in terms of graphical width, but we can easily accommodate the required width for the riprap spillway at the flared end here. And we have that in front of you. Uh, comment number two from your, your consultant noted that all impervious areas are directed to an infiltration BMP and our narrative contradicted that. Uh, we had to revise our stormwater checklist. We had inappropriately checked a box. Our narrative remains correct. 
in terms of the areas that are captured and directed to an infiltration DMP, but there are some areas that are not given where they exist on the site. Uh, that was really just a clerical revision to the application. And if necessary, we can discuss that in, in greater detail. Um, comment number three, uh, GZA recommended the applicant provide sizing calculated calculations for our isolator rows. As a reminder to this commission, our drainage is entirely subsurface. We are using StormTech plastic prefabricated chambers. And the first line of defense for those is an isolator row, which is designed to draw out sediment and give uh, an area for sediment to exist without um, fouling up the system or otherwise clogging the infiltration pores in the soil below the system. Um, we had provided to GZA, um, they had requested that we provide some calculations on the isolator rows. What our response was here is that we have, because of the complexity of our system, multiple isolator rows with multiple inlets to them. And it is our intention from the design is that our stormwater will flow between those systems as we've noted on the plans. Uh, but through final design, we may wish to add a manifold system to the end of each of our infiltration systems if the manufacturer deems it to be necessary or if we need it for bypass purposes. Uh, so we simply narrated that back to your consultant for review. Um, it is our intent that that water can move laterally side to side between the system without having to run the calculations of the volume of the isolator row um, between each of the rows of the stormwater system. So again, we can talk in greater detail about what all of these mean, but it was really just a technical clarification uh, that we were happy to provide back uh, to the commission or their, their consultant. A comment number can, four. Can, Phil, yes, can, please. can I stop you there a minute? Yes. Because, mm -hmm. um, I, I remember a similar discussion at uh, 582 Blue Hill Avenue. Um, and we were looking for certain specifications. Mm -hmm. And you said, well, that, that's going to be done at, at the post-construction phase. As I'm reading your comment here, or, or the, uh, the highlighted section, it says the plans are considered permit plans. Mm -hmm. And once the plans get advanced into construction documents, the storm tech system will be coordinated with the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. Uh, upon consultation with the manufacturer, if bypasses or manifolds are required, the plan will be modified to incorporate them into the design. Mm -hmm. um, why can't we know that upfront at the permitting stage as opposed to waiting until post-construction after the permit's granted? So, so what we've done, so just to be clear, the system that is in front of you for design approval, permit approval has been designed all of the calculations are there. Once we have those approved, as we're suggesting, we do turn it over to a manufacturer. And what they do is they provide custom site-specific drawings. Uh, and then they review the efficiency of the layout of the system to make sure all of the components add up and all of the, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, individual pipes are connected as they need to be. Uh, in certain circumstances, the manufacturer will require some modification to the system based on how the joints will align, how the system will be constructed, the spacing between it and the like. Uh, as we talked about, since you did, Mr. Chairman, reference Blue Hill Avenue, um, it, it's very common that once these permit drawings are approved, we advance it to a construction level and engage the manufacturer at that point. The manufacturer does provide certain design services 
and we can certainly review it with them if you would like. Um, but we obviously defer that until we know we have an approved project where they're reviewing the final design, if you will, where all of the engineering calculations have been substantiated. And at that point, we're just asking them to verify the constructability of the system for the contractor to do their work at the end of the day. Uh, so to, to more succinctly to answer your question, you said, why can't we do it now? Uh, it, is, it is a preference of us as the engineer. It is a preference of us as the application that we have the design approved. And then we have the shop drawings prepared as part of the construction series. But are you saying right now that, that uh, although you're proposing this design, you, you don't know if it's constructible? No, we, we do know that it's constructible. And maybe my term of constructability was not the appropriate word. What I'm suggesting, so I, I've brought up uh, the image on the screen, the plan image. And what you'll note here is that we have uh, connecting manholes interconnecting between all of the systems. If, if the manufacturer ultimately recommends to us that rather than the direct connection through singular rows, where then water would flow laterally from side to side, which is an acceptable practice and is part of, part of the manufacturer's specifications presently, if they recommend that there's better efficiency for us to add, say, a manifold line on the end of it, though, those are the revisions that I'm suggesting. So nothing that um, denotes that this system can't be built as we are proposing it on the plans, but there might be add-ons that we can add to the system to help with efficiency of movement of water if recommended by the manufacturer. That's what I'm suggesting. But if recommended by the manufacturer, it sounds like both you and you're requesting that we also defer to them on the design, the, the ultimate design of the system. So my, my suggestion is under the stormwater calculations, we have to provide a system that meets certain design standards, volume, layout, dimension, separation to the water table, et cetera. That's what's before you, and that's what we're asking you to uh, approve. Uh, the, the, the final construction of the system really falls outside of there as long as the system meets what you have approved in terms of the design standards, you and, and your consultant, of course, your consultant reviewing it from an engineering perspective. So we're not, we're not asking you to, to, to trust us and to go with us on the situation. Uh, what we're what we're asking you to do is approve what's what's permittable under the stormwater management standards. Understood. All right, thanks, mm -hmm. um, John. Before you go any further on that, I mean we can put something like that in a condition, and if there is a design change, then that would be something that the the applicant would be obligated to bring to us as a design change. So, I mean, there's while there is a preference on the applicant to to have that flexibility, I don't see any issue in having you know, the specific condition to, to what you're asking for. You agree with that, Phil? I do, said, said better. If there is a design change, we can bring it back in front of you and you can render a determination as to whether it's in compliance with what you've seen and approved uh, and it administratively amends the notice of intent or would require that we republish for a new notice of intent. You, you would retain that authority throughout the process. Understood, Th thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, comment four is where we left off. Um, the, the consultant was making a, a reference to the removal efficiency for a water quality swale 
which should include a sediment four bay in their, their opinion as referenced on, on comment four. Uh, what we are suggesting to them by our response is because our water quality swale, which exists behind our townhomes and only receives lateral flow, it does not require a sediment four bay according to the stormwater handbook in terms of the design standards. So we'll ask your consultant to review that and confirm that, that, that we are correct in that case. And that swale is the one that runs behind buildings three and building five, our townhomes on the uh, westerly uh, property line. And we also noted in the response that we are providing check dams to meet water quality requirements throughout the uh, entirety of the swale. But as you'll note on here, it is only receiving lateral flow. It's not receiving any direct discharge from a collection or conveyance piping that would other require, otherwise require a, a sediment four bay. And I'll just draw you to, I'm just gonna bring you to the section um, on the stormwater management standards. I'm bringing it up on the screen now under the, the swale, and I'm just gonna zoom right in here. Pretreatment is required to perfect, perfect, protect the filtering and infiltration capacity of the swale bed. Pretreatment of pipe flows is generally a sediment four bay behind a check dam with a pipe inlet. For lateral flows, use a vegetated filter strip on a gentle slope or a pea gravel diaphragm. So we are going for the latter, which is the, vegeta the vegetated slope into the swale. Uh, so it is our opinion, and we've provided that back to your consultant, uh, that the, the sediment four bay is, is not required. And can I ask you a sort of a general question? And I know that the term best management practices is uh, often used, sometimes overused, <laughs> sometimes abused. Um, so if, if I ask you, um, you know, what's the best management practice uh, in a particular, and I, I'm not limiting it to this, but just as a, a general concept, do you think that a sediment four bay would be considered the best management practice, even if it's not required, and I, I'll say a minimal requirement under the stormwater handbook? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you on that front. And I, I think the answer to that question is in the term sediment four bay. So the, the ask is, what is the purpose? And the sediment four bay's purpose is to draw sediment out of the water. Sediment is created by uh, paved surfaces that are exposed to vehicular movements that have debris, sand, et cetera. Uh, that's what we're trying to draw out of the water stream. When we have this lateral flow from, from backyards, we're not trying to remove anything out of it. I, I understand that, but what I'm saying, I, I, my question is, you're saying that the, the, the stormwater handbook doesn't require the four bay. Mm -hmm. I'm asking a different question. Would the four bay be the best management practice to get the, the most efficient sediment removal? Uh, so I'm sorry that I'm not giving you a clear answer, but you're, you're asking a question under a site specific condition the sediment four bay is not necessarily the best method to remove sediment. There are many, many other options out there for us to engineers to use in the designer's toolkit. So it's not the best. You have to look at site specific conditions to determine if it's appropriate. And what I'm suggesting by our response is it's it's not appropriate in this instance as the consultant had suggested it was. It's not appropriate or it's not required? Both, both. 
Mr. Chairman, if I may, Steve D'Ambrosio with GZA. Yes. Um, I think it wasn't clear in the applicant's response was that they were uh, still attempting or looking to pre-treat before it gets to the water quality swale. So the fact that they're looking to include a vegetated filter strip or a peak gravel diaphragm as described in what you're looking uh, on your screen presently, I mean, that would meet the requirements, which are, uh, you know, it says, and I think in our, our response, our comment, it said a, a sediment forebay or equal. So in this instance, if they're providing a, a filter strip, then that would provide the pretreatment necessary before it got into the water quality soil. But Steve, the same question to you, and, and that is, there's a difference between that which is required uh, under the regs and what I refer to as best management practices. I'll give you an example. What if they use both? Would that be the best way, the best management practice to get the sediment out? Not necessarily, not in this uh, application. Their flow is coming in laterally along the length of the the best management practice, their 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 uh, uh, vegetarian their their water quality swale. So a, a forebay is typically at the head of a drainage um, uh, collection system, right? It would be at the the head of uh, before it got into say uh, the head of this swale. If if all of the impervious that was being directed to the swale uh, was at the head of it, at the top of it, then a sediment forebay might be a good answer here. But because it's entering the water quality swale in multiple spots along the length of the swale, it makes sense to treat that lateral flow with a different, a different entity. So a, a sediment forebay isn't necessary here. I just think what we wanted to make plain in our comment was that pretreatment was necessary before the water quality swale and it appears that the applicant is providing that. All right, and what would happen if they change from that you know, single inlet to the manifold that we were just talking about, or am I in a different area? <laughs> on, the, on the subsurface? So that's different. That would be um, their subsurface system. I think one question I, I have to, to fill is- Wait a minute, what, what about my question? <laughs> well, I wanna, I wanna ask about if they are uh, relying on the isolator rows for pretreatment. We we are relying on the isolator rows as part of the subsurface system. So it would be pretreatment, and that's what ultimately gives you the 80% TSS removal, Steve. Okay. Yes. So those would need to be sized appropriately. And the manifold system, I mean, I would expect that something would be needed especially since you're using the isolator rows, typically you have some type of overflow or another means like high level overflow to get into the, the bulk of the system. You're looking to treat the first flush with your isolator rows. So I would expect there would be a change. Whether or not it would change the geometry of the system as currently proposed, I, I can't say. So without getting- that, that's, that's my, my point, the, the earlier point being made and, and that's the difference between the design and then the, the field changes or the, the, the new recommendations by the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could change everything. That goes to Hans's point, And I think Phil agreed that the, you'd have to come back post permit, but pre-change. 
Right, and without getting overly technical here in this forum, we can we can certainly do it. Um, you know, I can discuss it with Stephen in greater detail with the commission. So the, the use of the storm tech chambers, as I suggested, allows lateral flow out of the chambers. And that's how we're meeting the bypass flows that Stephen was just referring to without the need for manifolds is that the chambers are designed to exfiltrate water out of them and move it into the rest of the system, negating the need for manifold. My only suggestion was, was that if we needed manifold, we will add them. We're suggesting by this design that we don't need them. Um, I don't have in front of me, I can pull it up on the side, um, the actual rate of water that can leave, leave through the sides of these manifolds and it can certainly meet the uh, stormwater flows for all of our storm events, given that we do utilize these through the 100 year storm event. And we can provide, we have that data. Got it, okay, uh, thanks. Okay. Go so ahead, Phil. Thank, thank you, Steve, for, for, for weighing in. Sure. Um, so we, we left off on, on comment five. Uh, which was a confirmation of meeting the target 80% TSS total suspended solids removal. Uh, we had two areas of the site uh, that didn't meet the 80%. And what we've provided back to um, your consultant for review is that the two areas that don't natively or on themselves meet the 80% TSS removal meet certain conditions under the Massachusetts stormwater standards that they're considered what's called de minimis. And when you have de minimis TSS removal areas, you can review a weighted calculation for the entirety of the site, meaning the site as an overall has to meet 80%, even if individual pieces of it do not. Uh, and that's what we've provided back is that those two areas that were highlighted by the consultant um, meet the requirements for de minimis. They receive less than one CFS of flow. Um, there are physical site conditions that preclude us from adding additional elements into them and then therefore the overall remainder of the site uh, meets 80% because some of the other areas on site exceed 80% when everything is weighed together and average as an aggregate, we meet the requirement. So we're asking for them to confirm that um, assessment from our side uh, in terms of the comment that was, that was raised. Um, comment number six. Can, can I ask you a question there? Cause I, I'm following along on uh, response to five. Sure. And in the second to last bullet, uh, second sentence says that the two year 24 hour runoff uh, P-1 is 0 0.90 CFS. Mm -hmm. um, my only question there is that you're using that um, as a like, a like a predicate data point that two year 24 hour runoff. If you drop down to uh, comment six, and I know I'm shifting gears on you because I just jumped to the next one. But the analysis was talking about a two, a 10, a 25, and a 100 year, 24 hour storm event. Is there any reason why your comment, your response rather, uh, above was only to the two year storm as opposed to the two, 10, 25, and 100 year? Yes, it's because, because that's what's prescribed under the stormwater management handbook for the de minimis calculation. It's the runoff condition in the two year storm event which is the high frequency, low volume, low intensity event. It's the, it's the first flush event is where you want your, your maximum sediment control. So you analyze it for the two year storm, which is what we're providing under comment or response five. So do the regs say don't analyze it under the 10, 25 and 100 year storms? They don't, they don't say don't analyze it. What they do say is do analyze it under the two year. And, um, I can bear with me for 
one second, and I'm, I'm going to bring up here for you the, the actual language of the bylaw so you can see it, so you don't have to take my word for it, um, is here. These, these are the conditions that it would be a de minimis stormwater discharge that, that I'm referencing. So bullet point number two, which I'm highlighting here for you, quote, the discharge is less than or equal to one CFS for the runoff associated with the two year 24 hour storm. So it is specifically identified to use that one. And that's what we're using. Understood, thank you, Phil. Sure, sure. Okay. Uh, comment six uh, was requesting some information relative to the test pits and the water elevation. This is just a data point. I won't spend a whole lot of time on it. The consultant asked us to verify and provide this clarification. So that's what this table does. Happy to talk about any of the tabular data points, but it identifies each of the stormwater-based components and the elevation of the estimated seasonal high water table and how we achieved it and what the separation to the, uh, to the water table is for the design. Uh, comment seven uh, is regard to our stormwater report checklist. Um, the, well, reading it by the applicant incorrectly indicates that a construction period pollution prevention and erosion and sediment control plan is submitted with this stormwater report. Uh, GZA recommends that the applicant either provide the construction period prevention and erosion and sediment control plan for review or revise the checklist. So the intent here by our response is revision of the checklist. And what we have done under the revision of the checklist is denote the project is covered by a construction general permit, but we have not prepared and submitted the SWIP. However, it will be prepared and submitted prior to any land disturbance activities, which is an allowance under the stormwater checklist submitted with the application. So we have revised that on the materials committed, uh, submitted to the commission. Okay. Um, comment eight, uh, this may, Sort of field, Mr. Chairman, you referenced uh, our, our Blue Hill AVEC application, um, a similar comment from the consultant regarding calculations for the water quality volume that we're treating within each of one of our systems. Um, GZA asked us to affirm those volumes and that's what this tabular data does. Uh, it provides each of our watershed areas on site. It denotes what the impervious area is within each of those watershed calculation for the runoff condition using one half inch of the water quality volume, which is prescribed by the stormwater standards, what those the required volume is. And then the last column is what we are providing in each of the systems. And of course, each of those systems exceeds all of those minimum requirements. Um, so that is simply a, a data check for us. Um, we're also making sure that our systems meet the MS4 permit requirements which are not something that are built into the stormwater regulations presently. They will be under future conditions, but our site plan design has accounted for them now. So we exceed the, the, the basic requirements of water quality volume uh, as outlined in our, our response eight. Um, comment nine was seeking a clarification on some dividing lines between our post-development drainage um, we have provided a revised watershed plan um, for your consultant to review where we have uh, further identified and darkened some of the lines to make sure it is clearer where each of our watershed areas are draining to. So we think that's just an administrative clarification for their review. Um, and, and Phil, sorry, Steve D'Ambrosio. So yes, the sir. P28 doesn't exist, correct? It's still there on the plan. 
Uh, it doesn't, Steve. That's okay. right. So the, the the routing is shown correct. I know it's a it's a label inconsistency on the watershed okay. plan. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying it with us. Um, comment number ten uh, was and, and, you know because of that back and forth. I sh I should alert the public to something, and that is that um, due to some just um, <laughs> inadvertent uh, <laughs> uh, mistakes that. This document, although it carries the date of, what is the date? Is it December? 23rd, sir. 23rd. Um, I don't think was received by GZA until last Thursday. And the, the problem was that it was sent by mail, as I understand it, to the Boston office for GZA, but that uh, during COVID closed some six or more months ago. And as a constant, this is for the public's benefit, Phil. I know you know that and Steve knows it as well. But uh, as I understand it, GCA only received this document last Thursday um, in terms of their own opportunity to review. Thanks. That's just an aside. Um, but go ahead. Okay. Um, comment number 10 is related to our HydroCAD design model, which is our <clears throat> uh, drainage model. Um, technical in nature in terms of what uh, GCA is requesting. Uh, he was asking us for confirmation that one of our links within our HydroCAD model be used as a as a design point. Uh, and what we have responded to through response 10 and ultimately the table that exists is, is that it does act as an inherent link, an interim link within the stormwater design. And, and the consultants ask there, and I don't want to presume, obviously Steve can weigh in, uh, is suggesting to make sure that the interim design point, which in this case is a wetland resource area, is not exceeded. Uh, and that's what the highlight of that link is intended to denote. So this table that we're providing on the top of, I guess, page five of my letter response um, just affirms those calculations that we have not exceeded the pre-development rates of runoff, which again is a, a tenant requirement of the stormwater management handbook. Um, so we'll ask Stephen just to affirm that once he's had a chance to, to take a deep dive on it. Um, comment 11, uh, we, we talked at great length a few minutes ago about sediment four bays. We do have some sediment four bays on site where they are applicable. Um, GZA asked us to provide confirmation that they are sized appropriately, uh, which this calculation does. We're required to size them based on one-tenth of an inch for, for the amount of uh, per acre of impervious area that drains to them. So this calculation table under response 11 is simply to denote compliance with that condition and that the systems as designed uh, meet that requirement. Um, comment 12 uh, is GZA requested that we provide some clarifying sizing calculations for the grass swale associated with the emergency access drive off of Mergewood uh, and that we clearly indicate the location of the proposed grass swale and the sediment for bay. Um, so through response 12, again, just some technical clarifications, we identified what the drainage area is going into that swale, how we would calculate the runoff condition during the up to the 100 year event, and then what the sizing calculation would be for that 0.1 inch of runoff for a sediment four bay. And that all culminates in the table that's at the bottom of, of page five. Um, we then go on to identify what the slopes and cross-sectional parameters are for the swale. And then through graphical representation uh, on the top of page six, um, give the cross-section parameters just to denote that our swale has the adequate carrying capacity 
to, to meet the design requirements to move that water um, uh, adequately across the property. So again, a, just a confirmation of some of the design assumptions and happy to provide the, the additional clarification that uh, GZA uh, requested. Um, so I think we'll just jump in. So our last comment here, this obviously has multiple parts. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll, I'll act at the, at the commission's discretion regarding comment 13, but summarizing it, uh, we're obviously talking about our infiltration systems underneath our parking lot um, and making reference to providing some uh, additional testing, additional data, additional clarifications, additional hydraulic conductivity estimates um, to support the design that we have in front of you and was ultimately approved through the Zoning Board of Appeals. Um, and what I will provide back to you uh, is really under response 13 and zoom in on it just so everybody can see it. Because we're utilizing the static method of calculations under the stormwater management handbook, it does not dictate that we prepare and provide some of the recommendations that, that GZA is included. Um, we're, we're certainly noting his uh, comments that are raised and the request for additional information, but we are noting that it's, it's simply not provided in this case. Um, we are or not required rather than not provided. Um, we have met the, the standard of care in terms of what needs to be provided uh, in accordance with the handbook. Um, and that's what we're providing to this commission and we'll continue to have our discussions on which really relies upon the, the soil characteristics and the Rawls rate as being used for the parameters to determine what the soil movement is relative to water. Now, we obviously don't want to um, let um, GZA's request linger and the commission obviously may, may seek to have some of this information as well. Um, so what we'll draw your attention to is really the summation on page eight of our response letter, which is um, during the ZBA process, uh, we had a more complex analysis done. It was submitted through the Zoning Board of Appeals process. Through their review consultant, Tetra Tech, um, Peter Dillon was their senior hydrologist. They ultimately determined that the, the additional mod flow analysis was, was not really pertinent and was not germane to the topic of discussion. And therefore, we didn't use it ultimately at the end of the day when we rendered the decision or they rendered a decision through the Zoning Board of Appeals. Um, and uh, uh, springboarding off of that processes, um, we are not going to introduce those materials here into the Conservation Commission environment as a data point, nor are we going to conduct any additional testing that was suggested because we do meet the standards that uh, we are required to. Um, the data is available, should you wish to review it. God bless you, Mr. Chair. Um, uh, but but we're not going to provide it and introduce it as part of our, our data conclusions. The applications do meet what we are required to provide and uh, we're happy to discuss those on, on their merits. Um, so in short, everything that we've discussed in the letter was provided as an appendix. Uh, we have a revised stormwater checklist. We have a riprap calculation. We have a revised watershed map. Uh, included to the letter. No direct revisions to the plans per se, given the responses that we have in play with uh, uh, GZA and your consultant. Um, and we're happy to then further any questions and discussions on, on the materials you have in front of you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I just, I think I heard you say mm -hmm. that in refusing to provide the uh, mod flow report 
you said that you had met the standard of care. Do you, is that correct? Yes. All right. Is meeting the standard of care the same or is it different than meeting the regulatory requirement? The same. In, in, in my vernacular, the way I, I couched it, the same. Right. Is, is that our, the characteristics that we need to submit upon for the static method of calculation, we have done that. All right, now, you, and I think, I think we all understand that this um, item 13 is of, of great significance to us. Um, and I'm gonna quote from the GZA letter dated uh, December 16th, 2022, which all commission members have, it's in part of the public record, and I know you've got a copy of it. Mm -hmm. And I go to their page four, and I read from the last paragraph. And it says, GCA strongly recommends the evaluation of the potential for SMS failure, stormwater system, failure due to groundwater mounding using three-dimensional three -dimensional numerical modeling methods, comma, site-specific subsurface data, comma, and the maximum probable storm and snow melt events, including sequential events. The method should be able to simulate the groundwater mound beneath and adjacent to the site based on local precipitation data. If, if we were to follow the strong recommendation, wouldn't we require from you that, that three-dimensional um, modeling that as I understand it, you're, you're refusing to provide? Uh, well, the term refusing to provide obviously depicts it in a very negative light. You know, well, that's, what you, that's what it says. Yeah. That's we're, what you said. Right. We're, 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 not, we're not going to provide it because it's not germane to the calculations that we need to provide to meet the stormwater management handbook standards and design calculations. So you could, you could of course, request it. Uh, you have your rights to request it, to which we can also then, we would reject the request as we're suggesting. Well, we do request it. And I, 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 I've got in writing that you reject that request. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm stumped here. You know, we told you up front that we needed a, a consultant on board. The consultant has said, has said from the hydrological perspective that GZA strongly recommends the evaluation, et cetera. And I just quoted it to you and it's part of the public record. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'm not sure what's being shared here. Well, that, what, that's, that's yours, right? This, this, is, this is my response, but this, this particular passage, which has, has we've discussed it many times in the past, the, the italicized indentated indentation paragraph is, is taken from the stormwater management standards, uh, the design guidelines that we all have to follow. And quote, when the static or simple dynamic methods or LID site design credits are proposed for sizing stormwater recharge DMPs in situ tests for saturated hydraulic conductivity are not required for purposes of the stormwater management standards and the saturated hydraulic conductivities listed by Rawls 1982 C table shall be used. 
Um, so what we're asserting and the position that we are taking is this language does not require that we do advanced three-dimensional model. It does not require that we do site-specific in situ testing to use on-site hydraulic conductivities. It allows for the opportunity to use the characteristics table that they note in the Rawls table. That that's what we're we're rely, relying upon. So it's All not, right. yeah. But can can you go to the next page of, of your document there? Uh, sure. So that that last paragraph there. This is the one where. Um, <clears throat> it says yeah, I, I'm like one, two, three, four, five lines up from the bottom. Um, it says a mod flow report has not been submitted and will not be provided by AM nor the applicant as part of this notice of intent. The information provided within the DO NOI package as submitted is sufficient to demonstrate compliance with the stormwater standards without such additional modeling. So I, and I'm now having received the advice of the, the strong recommendation from the consultant to get this, I guess I have a question. Do you agree that this site is unusual to the extent that you're talking about covering essentially five acres of land with, I'm going to approximate here, 52,000 cubic yards of fill up to a height um, going all the way up to nine feet above current grade? It's not all nine. I, go, I know it goes from five to nine. But doesn't that create, if not an extraordinary site, then at least an unusual site? It, it, I, I wouldn't use those same words. It creates a site that requires complex work to utilize it. Um, and the application that we've put forth does that. Uh, it's not unusual, it's not extraordinary, other than we have to do additional work to make sure it meets the standards that we need to meet. Do you think it unreasonable that the commission would request this uh, three-dimensional modeling with site-specific subsurface data and I think the maximum probable storm and snow melt events? I, I think it's unreasonable in that it goes against and flies in the face of the regulations that we're being asked to review and design against. Right, that's um, why I asked you the question about standard of care. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that the standard of care from an engineering perspective is the same as the minimum regulatory requirements? So I, I'm saying in this case, it huh. is. It is that we've, we've met the regulatory requirements. We've met the engineering calculations to support that. Yeah. Okay. All right, thank you. Uh, do commissioners have any uh, <laughs> questions? And uh, you, you may have them afterwards because I know that there will be some other um, witnesses presenting this evening. Yeah. But Wendy. Um, I don't have any questions right now, but I, I am curious to hear um, comments from the others in the audience. All right, Steve. Are you a, a Steve Ivis? Are you able yes. to share um, the the letter from GZA dated December 16, two thousand and twenty two? I don't know if you have that one or not. 
Um, December 16? Yes, December 16, GZA. I, I, Mr. Chairman, I can share it if you'd like to see it. If it right, because I, right I just like for the public record to be able to look at that page four, last paragraph. Sure. Please do that, Bill. Sure thing. So you're, you're referring to this last paragraph suggested GZA strongly as I've highlighted yes, here? That, that's exactly the paragraph I was, I was looking at. Sure. I, I just want to make sure that the commission's member, and we all have a packet, but the public um, should be able to review that which I'm citing to. And I don't know if, if all the commissioners had, had focused in on that. Are there any uh, questions at this juncture from commission members? All right, hearing none, or seeing no hands raised. Um, can, can we proceed? Uh, I know that there, there are uh, members of the public and, and those that are in the, in the neighborhood Mr. Oil Chair. opposition, I'm not sure what to call them. Ms. Mr. Chair, I'm yes. sorry to interrupt you, sir. Um, I know you're going to open it up to public comment, obviously proceed as you see appropriate. Um, should I, can I suggest, we obviously didn't hear from Steve, uh, Steve D'Ambrosio, who, who authored that comment. And now you've obviously heard my response and I know he's, he's reacting on limited time, but would the commission benefit from, from his response? which is, does, does he think that a three-dimensional three numerical model uh, is, is required given the conditions of the stormwater handbook, as I've suggested? I, I actually think that uh, the author of that section was Jim Week, and who's not here present tonight. And as our consultant, I think GCA will respond to our questions. Okay. Um, and then uh, perhaps at a later time, we could have Jim uh, Week appear as a hydrologist. Uh, I think Steve will agree, even as project manager, his expertise is not in hydrology. I think that's correct. That, that is correct, Mr. Chair. All right, thank you. On that basis, then, I, I'd uh, go to the, I don't know what to call it, loyal opposition. Ned Cochran, are you out there? I don't. I see am, I am here, Mr. Chair. Thank you. I've got, I'm noticing that Scott Horsley is one of our two consultants. I represent the neighborhood group um, that debuts um, the uh, 648, 652 uh, Canton Avenue site on all sides. Uh, they are e extraordinarily concerned about what is being proposed here. As I look at the preface to the stormwater management standards, it says that you should apply strategies that will include environmentally sensitive site design and low impact development techniques to minimize impervious surfaces and land disturbance. This is a project that proposes, as you said, to bring in 52,000 cubic yards of fill to raise the level of the site between five and nine feet that will take five acres of what is now in a pervious surface, squeeze it into four acres of, per, of impervious surface with roof, uh, parking lot, uh, um, drive aisles, et cetera, contain those in the subsurface uh, uh, areas they do not have test pits in all of the areas that are identified. They rely on interpretive analysis as to whether and how those uh, uh, chambers will work together based on an interpretation of uh, the test pits um, and that they are barely meeting the minimum threshold is shown in the table that they provided in their response. 
my first question, I think, uh, is how does this comply or comport to comply with low impact development and, and, and environmental sensitive design development? Uh, it doesn't come close. Uh, I think uh, I would request that, that the commission evaluate that and that uh, Steve and his team evaluate that uh, for conformity with that very fundamental component. Um, second, um, I, I note that Scott Horsley uh, had his hand raised. I know he's got some, some specific comments and questions here, and uh, Mike Mobile has some sp very specific comments about the need for this type of um, um, analysis, three-dimensional uh, groundwater mounting analysis to really understand what's being proposed here. You've got two um, wetlands, one on six, that is abutting 652, uh, Canton Avenue when you have the intermittent stream that comes within 25 feet of the edge of the property on, on the westerly side. So we have two wetlands that are being directly uh, impacted uh, here. We have no idea what will be happening underground, the potential for breakout of groundwater, et cetera. A sophisticated groundwater mounting analysis is critical, we think, to the commission's understanding of what's being proposed relative to this development. Uh, with that, I would ask Scott, um, to speak, and then uh, Mike Mobile uh, as well. Thank you. Thank you, Ned. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I'll be brief because I know uh, Dr. Mike Mobile has more specific comments, but I did want to specifically respond to um, a slide that Phil showed in response to your question, Mr. Chairman, about the need for three-dimensional modeling, which has clearly been recommended by your third-party consultant. Um, he showed a slide relative to the static method. And I want to assert that has, and I'll be clear here, absolutely nothing to do with which groundwater modeling technique one would use. I feel he's completely conflating uh, the question. Uh, he, I don't know whether he realizes that or not. And we can pull the slide up and look at it again, but that slide only talks about whether or not you need saturated thickness measurements on site. It has nothing to do with whether or not you need three-dimensional modeling. So that, that response was irrelevant and I would believe misleading. My second comment and my last comment is that, as you said, Mr. Chairman, we've been looking at this site for a long time. This is a complex site. First of all, hydrogeologically, this is glacial till surrounded by wetlands. It's a hill, uh, it has a stream, an intermittent stream, it has wetlands. Uh, Jim DeSell, the original engineer, who testified before the Zoning Board of Appeals on, on numerous occasions, testified that this is a complex site. It's a challenging site to develop. If one were to put a simple, perhaps single family, sub, single family home subdivision, it would be challenging. That's essentially what he asserted, the original design engineer. Um, on top of that, as you recognize tonight, we have up to nine feet of fill. We have, I think, I would hope everybody would agree this is an intensive development, a lot of impervious surface, um, very challenging site, very challenging development. So back to how do we evaluate this? And you asked a great question at the beginning, Mr. Chairman, where does the water go? How do you, how do you figure that out? Well, there is a simple analytical model called Hantush, which allows one to do a rough calculation on one infiltration system. Uh, this site has multiple systems, as we all know. Uh, it requires a three-dimensional model to look at the interaction 
or what we refer to hydrologically called interference between these systems and, and the, uh, the wetlands on the site. Um, the applicant has engaged a consultant uh, to do some initial modeling. Um, frankly, I think they got into trouble with some of the assumptions. Um, and uh, I don't believe the model that was developed was reliable. And we can get into that, and we probably should get into that in a great deal. I totally understand why the applicant doesn't want to talk about that. If I were them, I wouldn't want to either. Um, it's, a, it's highly problematic. Uh, the modeling that has been done is insufficient. Uh, I, GZA has, is a well-known firm in this field. I'm very happy that the town selected them, and the applicant agreed, agreed to have them do a review, third-party review. Um, they concur with our recommendations. Um, frankly, I think it's obvious. Uh, this goes to MassDEP. I'm quite certain they will agree too, because I've been before them on very similar matters. This is a complex site, complex development. You can't rely on a simple calculation to determine the hydrologic impacts. ModFlow is an internationally recognized model to evaluate exactly these kind of problems. And Dr. Mike Mobile is an expert on that model. And uh, I will stop there and maybe ask him to say a few words and maybe following his presentation, we can both take some questions. I suspect there'll be some overlap and Mike, I hope I didn't steal any of your thunder there. So please uh, proceed. No thunder stolen, Scott, thank you. Um, good evening, uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, commission members, Mike Mobile of McDonald Morrissey Associates uh, appearing this evening at the request of a Butters Coast project. Um, I, I wanna just start by identifying what, what seems to be a point of confusion in uh, in uh, Alan Major's response to GZA's comments, and that is it, it's contained within uh, this item 13 comment that GZA has issued. Um, GZA refers to the need to perform and, and really states that they haven't seen that the applicant has performed a groundwater mounting analysis, something that is 100% required given the current design, current proposed design. Uh, I think the, the applicant would not argue that that is a, an absolute requirement. Um, but per GZA's review letter, uh, they, they very specifically lay out the, the documents that were reviewed, the, the, the notice of intent filing, including the attachments, um, that includes a set of drawings, the drainage report, and a letter that was authored by Allen and Major that does not contain a groundwater mounting analysis, aside from a, a repeat of some uh, materials that were, were issued uh, as part of the ZBA review process. There's a link in that letter to the ZBA website where some materials are held, but, but I'm not seeing, and unless I'm mistaken, but I've talked to, to Mr. Rivas, I've talked to, uh, to uh, the secretary at the town office, and I, I, it would seem to me, based on my research, that no mounting analysis has been submitted. Um, and GZA's comment would, would support that position. So, um, you know, th this, the statements in this letter that say the, the requirements of uh, the stormwater standards, of the mass stormwater handbook are being met. Well, they're not being met if a, a, a mounting analysis has not been submitted, obviously, because it's required. So now, now let me step back and say, I've, I've seen multiple mounting analyses from this applicant. We've seen the mod flow analysis. I've reviewed that thoroughly. They've been unwilling to share the files, unwilling to share details, you know, completely avoiding 
we talked about standard of care or common practices in the industry, you know, being transparent with your calculations is kind of like day one lesson in, in engineering 101, but uh, that didn't happen in that case yet. I reviewed the materials, looked at the mod flow model and found, uh, you know, significant ind indications or, or flat out uh, evidence of significant deficiencies that were causing the mountain to be underpredicted by that model. Allen and Major then submitted what they called a, a supplemental groundwater mounting analysis. I might be confusing the terminology, um, but they used the analytical model that Scott referred to, this Hantouche approximation. That is an analytical model that requires a site, for it to be accurate, a site to fit a very narrow set of ideal conditions. And Mr. Chairman, I think you hit the nail on the head in describing this site as, as being a tricky or complicated site. And Mr. Uh, uh, Cordero himself, uh, my notes say his comments were, uh, this is a, it creates a site that requires more complex work, right? Not a simple model, a, a model that's capable of representing complexity. Uh, I believe he said it takes additional work to make sure we meet the standards that we need to meet. Yeah, that additional work is an analysis that accounts for the site complexity. Very simple. So anyway, they, they've abandoned this mod flow analysis. That's clear based on the statements today. Fine. What is the mounting analysis that you are submitting then? Because it doesn't seem like GZA has seen one. I fully respect uh, GZA and their ability to review a mounting analysis. I think Jim Week is a, a very qualified hydrologist and will, will recognize issues there. I've already seen a great many and I'm prepared to talk about them tonight, but I don't think it's worth the, the commission's time, quite honestly. I think GZA needs to be pointed to the groundwater mounting analysis that this, this applicant is standing behind to prove they are conforming and meeting the, uh, the requirements under uh, Massachusetts Stormwater Handbook. And Mr. Chairman, I, I thought your question about standard of care versus meeting basic requirements was another excellent one. You could sneak by and meet requirements as they're read from the Mass Stormwater Handbook and still have an analysis that doesn't fully evaluate uh, indications of, of problems with a system. And I think if anything, that's, well, first of all, I don't agree that the, the mounting analysis that's been performed even meets the, the basic requirements. But beyond that, the, the next level of kind of reading the results properly and determining if there are indications of performance issues, it just hasn't been done. So I guess I would pose the question to, to you, Mr. Chairman and the board, does it make sense for me to go on to this presentation tonight? Personally, I, I don't think it does. I need to know what, the applicant is suggesting is their groundwater mounting analysis so I can be efficient with my comments. Um, and I think GZA needs to uh, be told this as well and be given the opportunity to review that mounting analysis. Um, I do, I'll conclude with this statement, I do fully agree with the statements that are in their comment letter regarding the groundwater mounting analysis. I do think a numerical analysis like a mod flow analysis is appropriate here. Uh, not only appropriate, but necessary given the site complexity, given the complexity of the layouts of these stormwater systems, as Mr. Horsley referred to, the Hantouche model can only represent really one simple rectangular system at a time. The, there are multiple rectangular areas that all have to be added together and considered in sequence and, and, and simultaneously really to make a mounting analysis representative here. And the Hantouche analysis really struggles with that type of thing. So again, I, I just, I, I agree with, 
what uh, GZ has arrived at. And, and surprisingly, they arrived at that without even apparently seeing any of these mounting analyses. So that, that just further demonstrates the need here, I think. Um, so I'll, I'll stop there and, and happily take any questions. Uh, thank you again for your, your time and attention on this matter. Thank you. Can I respond very quickly and, and ask Phil? Um, I, I know that there were submissions to the ZBA that you mentioned before, but we don't have anything, do we? By way of mounting, uh, uh, groundwater mounting analysis. You've We've got references to it and letters referring to it, but have you submitted any analysis? You would you would have, Mr. Chairman, the the Hantouche calculations that Dr. Mobile and Dr. Horsley are referencing. Um, those those were submitted with the application. I don't have the original application here with me remotely, um, but you would you would have that. But but not the not the mod flow, whatever. I, I think the analysis was submitted to the ZBA, but not the the data points. Is that correct? The, the mod flow summary report that Dr. Rosine prepared was submitted to the zoning board. That's correct. Um, but, the, but not not to us, not to the conservation commission. Not, not to the conservation commission. And that's what I was referencing in the response to comment number 13 of the GZA letter, is that we, we elected not to include it because it was determined not germane through the zoning board of appeals process. So as not to confuse and conflate and and over-exaggerate this process, we've elected not to include it here. Well, you do agree, don't you, that they have a, a different charter, a different mandate at the ZBA than the Conservation Commission does? Um, the, so I, I agree that you you guys review different, different bits of, of materials, but the same matters related to the proper handling of stormwater management and runoff conditions and breakout potential and the senior uh, hydrologists that were employed by the town through the ZBA process um, ideally have the same, same goals in mind. Mr. Chair, if I may, just to supplement Phil's response there, uh, this is attorney Jesse Schomer, the uh, applicant's attorney with respect to this, this process as well as the zoning board's process. Just to clarify your question, Mr. Chair, um, the, the peer review that was conducted during the Zoning Board of Appeals process by Tetratech, as Phil noted, was conducted by a professional engineer, PE, as well as a professional hydrogeologist with Tetratech. The ultimate comprehensive permit issued by the Zoning Board constitutes an approval of the project under the town's local wetlands protection bylaw, as well as the town's stormwater management bylaw. So the review by Tetratech was a review under both of those bylaws uh, for compliance, as well as recommended conditions. What I will also note, it hasn't come up yet during this process, the comprehensive permit that was issued by the Zoning Board of Appeals contemplates that the Tetratech hydrogeologist uh, we'll have ongoing jurisdiction over the project as well as ongoing review under both bylaws. Uh, to that end, the applicant will be required to post a significant uh, expenditure of funds to fund that review, uh, as well as bonds for potential uh, issues with respect to groundwater mounding uh, that have been raised tonight by uh, Dr. Mobile and, and Mr. Horsley. Also to note, um, I, would, I would draw the commission's attention to the, to the actual conditions of approval that were issued by the Zoning Board of Appeals under the local bylaw. 
which contemplated, I would, I would describe as a, a extraordinary series of review and monitoring conditions over the course of many months, both prior to construction, during construction, and after construction to, con to confirm uh, that the issues that have been raised by Dr. Mobila and Mr. Horsley uh, have do not actually uh, come to light and, and pose problems for the for the project. We we recognize that Dr. Mobile and, and, and Mr. Horsley are frustrated by the, the project as well as their uh, their clients um, and and that their efforts to to convince the, the zoning board of appeals consulting hydrologist uh, that their position was correct. That ultimately, that was not what happened during the zoning board of appeals process. The uh, the, the letters were referred to by Phil, concluded that the project as proposed meets all requirements of the stormwater management handbook, uh, and that the, the further review requested by Dr. Rosine uh, was unhelpful for the purpose uh, that the zoning board uh, was reviewing, and, and, and by implication, this, this commission's review as well. Um, so with, with respect to their, their expertise in their respective fields, uh, as Phil has eloquently noted, we've we've demonstrated full compliance with the stormwater management handbook, and and we're entitled, uh, as was the applicant with respect to the project directly next door that this project that this commission approved uh, within the last month. We're entitled to to be held to the the requirements of the stormwater management handbook, and and not a further uh, further standard that that is not applied equally to other projects. What do you say about the, say about the GZA the strong recommendation that we uh, utilize the request from the applicant, this uh, three-dimensional modeling and site-specific data? We, Mr. Chair, just to, to, to supplement what, what Phil pre previously said, I, I agree with him 100%. We respect Steve's, his opinion regarding the matter. We respect his, his expertise at Steve D'Ambrosio as well as everyone at GZA, but with respect to them, the review of this commission is limited to the matters that are within your, your jurisdiction, which does not, one, does not include the entire site, and two, has already been reviewed by a different uh, consulting engineer and the consulting hydrogeologist. As, as Steve noted previously in response to your question, Mr. Chair, he's not a hydrogeologist. Uh, the project was reviewed, peer-reviewed by a hydrogeologist who's not here tonight, uh, in your words, Mr. Chair, as the low, loyal opposition, they they had no stake in this matter. They're not being paid to represent a butters to the project who are in opposition, which is not the case for Mr. Horsley and, and Dr. Mobile. They're they're being paid to be here tonight to advocate in opposition to the project. And as I said before, their advocacy ultimately was was reviewed and assessed by the town's peer reviewers, and determined not to be. Uh, uh, overruled effectively by by the submissions that were uh, filed by the applicant. Well, I, I I do understand the significance of the comprehensive permit, uh, essentially trumping the the town's wetland bylaw, but the ZBA has no jurisdiction over the state, uh, and we have a clear statutory mandate to implement the rules and regulations of the state regulations, and that's what we're doing here. And to gain assistance in that, we had an independent GZA hydrologist who made a strong recommendation. And I, I think it odd that in the face of a strong recommendation to the Conservation Commission, forget about the ZBA temporarily anyway, we're, we've gone to a consultant that says 
you need to have a, a three-dimensional modeling mounting analysis, and we don't have it. The fact that the the, the neighborhood association in opposition, and they are they're um, you know in, in zealous advocacy, they're they're saying, oh, you need this, but let's put them aside and go to our consultant that is essentially an independent town consultant and say you need it. So we're now confront we the conservation commission members are now confronted with a recommendation from our own consultant to get this data. And yet you're saying, we're not going to give it to you. Um, Just, I, if I, I may, Mr. Chair, all. I don't, excuse me. No, uh, go ahead. I, I, I apologize for speaking over you. Um, I, I don't mean to, to split hairs with respect to your characterization of the, the zoning board of appeals review. Um, th there's a distinction between the way you phrase it in terms of trumping the local bylaw. I would, I would take issue with that because what the Zoning Board of Appeals did is actually review and approve the project because it serves as the permit granting authority under all local bylaws for all local permits. So the, the Board of Appeals did not throw the, the town's local wetlands protection bylaw out the window it reviewed it and approved it in accordance with that bylaw. So we recognize that the, the commission's review is, is separate and different from that review under the local bylaw. However, what I would point out is that the local bylaw is more stringent in its protection of local wetlands than the state act. So by implication, by meeting the standards of the local bylaw, we meet the standards of the state. We, we, we don't seek to to take away your jurisdiction over the state wetlands in, in terms of the proximity within 100 feet of, of the, the offsite stream. Um, but we, we would respectfully submit that the, the review before the Zoning Board of Appeals has already been more comprehensive than what is required by the commission tonight. We can agree to disagree on that one. Mr. Um, Chair, if uh, yes. could briefly, the, the brief memo that is described that was delivered by Peter Dillon was delivered to the to the commission on or about the last day of the public hearing. There was no analysis done. There was no ability to question Mr. Dillon. He wasn't present at the last uh, date of the hearing. The hearing closed because the applicant refused to continue it any further. And the commission was, the, the, and the zoning board was very concerned that they didn't have the ability to understand what was happening here. And they, and they simply issued uh, a decision with as many conditions as they could develop uh, because they were concerned that the Housing Appeals Committee would simply overturn a denial of the permit. Um, so I think uh, Mr. Schomer is not properly characterizing the way uh, the uh, Zoning Board uh, reviewed this material. They were frustrated by the fact that they didn't have an opportunity to continue further and they simply were forced by the, the running out of the statutory time clock to close the hearing and issue a decision. Um, I think this com uh, commission is right within its uh, purview, particularly under the state's regulatory uh, requirements to review and request this material. This is a complex, complex site as you understand it, as we understand it, and it is not being properly evaluated relative to the potential impacts of groundwater mounting uh, and the like. All right, thank you. I, I see two other hands. Uh... Uh, Mike Mobile and uh, Scott. 
Mike, why don't you go for us? Whoever wants to go for us. Yeah, Mike, go ahead. Madam Scott, okay, thank you, thank you Mr. Chair. Um, may I just briefly share my screen? This will take two minutes. I think you know, this issue of, of Mr. Dillon's uh, review needs to be closed, and I think I can do that very quickly. Um, Please proceed. Okay, give me one moment to get up the proper letter here, and I will be with you. Uh, okay. Sorry, bear with me for one. I'm sorry. Uh, I need to end there. Sorry. All right. Are you seeing a chart? Yes. Yes. Okay. So this is Mr. Dillon's. Uh, submittal to our submission to the ZBA, um, basically depicting the outcome of, of his analysis. Um, as you'll likely recall from the plans that have been submitted uh, relative to this project, there are multiple stormwater infiltration systems. There's uh, one here, I believe this is, uh, I don't remember my numbering system, but I believe this is system four. Uh, this rectangular area here is system three, I believe. There's a very large, you know, the majority of the infiltration area exists over here as one combined area referred to as two, and there's another one, a smaller system that's numbered one. As you'll see, or as you see from this figure, Mr. Dillon looked only at the system where the circles are uh, surrounding it. You tell me how you can look at what probably constitutes 10% of the infiltration area and have a good idea as to the net effect that infiltration will have on this site. I mean, there is no better evidence of the deficiency of what he did than this. I mean, beyond that, if he knew what he was doing with the Hantouche calculation, he would realize that it doesn't produce a circular mound for a rectangular infiltration area. This is, I mean, this is a joke. This is a complete joke. So what I need to understand, and hopefully for you, Mr. Chair, is what is the applicant suggesting is there mounting analysis that shows compliance with mass stormwater handbook requirements? Are they relying on this? Because this is a joke. Are they relying on their Hantouche analysis? Because that's also a joke for a lot of the same reasons. And they're clearly not relying on Modflow because that, they said so themselves. So where, where are we? What, what are they using? And what, what are we looking at here? This is a plan that uh, Mr. Dillon uh, developed as part of his review. Uh, this is showing his comparison of the extent of groundwater mounding uh, for one system, one infiltration area that's part of this much larger system. So he's drawing circles that depict various different analyses. Uh, one that Allen and Major did, one that Tetratech did themselves, and a, a version of experimentation with some of the model inputs that I provided that's the largest circle. So again, this looks only at this one system. There'd be mounding generated by all of the remaining areas, and he never looked at it. So how could he possibly have determined that groundwater mounding broadly wasn't an issue here if you look at, like I said, what's probably 10% of the infiltration area that's proposed here? Does, does Go back, if you would, to your your comment on the rounding or the, the 
concentric circles there around a rectangular um, sure. distribution. Sure, yeah, it's, it's a minor point, but mathematically, the way the Hantouche approximation works is that a rectangular infiltration area will generate an elliptical mounding profile. It won't generate a, a perfectly circular mounting profile. So Mr. Dillon just made a mistake in his interpretation of these outcomes and only looked at one direction that that model predicts. It would be what he should have done is considered uh, another calculation that went along the longitudinal axis of the system, but he, he failed to do so and he came up with this circular area. So this is this is incorrect what he's depicted here. Even even just from a basic mathematics perspective, it's a minor point, I think, but it, it just goes to the point that overall this this review that he conducted is is wholly inadequate. And and when you say this this reflects 10% of the the discharge system is that an estimation or have you actually calculated that as so i, I just popped up a play I, it's not an actual calculation uh mr chairman that's my estimate just uh based on my understanding of, of the areas here uh but you can see here so uh if you can't see that i'll zoom in a little bit here's infiltration area four here's infiltration area three that we we're just looking at so i'm calling that area about 10 percent of all of the red rectangular areas added up here. Infiltration is proposed at all of these areas. So there would be mounds generated by each and every one of these systems. Each and every one of these rectangles would have a mounting profile associated with them. He only looked at this one. And, and then did he project that? Um, was there some kind of interpolation or extrapolation by taking that analysis and spreading it out throughout the entire project? The answer is no. So uh, now, now I'm, I'm, I'm lost from the applicant's perspective. What, and maybe I can give it back to, to Phil or, or to uh, Attorney Schomer, but what does that 10% approximately, uh, what is that offered for? What, what's, the, what's the probative point of showing only 10%? Are you extrapolating that 100% uh, would be an accurate analysis or are you just limiting it that to the 10% that's reflected. Mr. Chair, I'll, I'll have to defer to Phil for the technical aspect of that, of the answer to that question. I'm, I'm a little hesitant to, to get into a back and forth regarding, uh, regarding Mr. Dillon's recommendations because he's, he's not here personally to defend himself against the, you know, the insults that Dr. Mobile was leveling at him, describing his work as a joke. Um, so I, you know, respectfully would suggest that if the commission has, has questions about Dr. Dillon's report, then perhaps uh, those can be directed to Dr. Dillon. You, you know, the, the issue that we were facing during the Zoning Board of Appeals process is frankly that Dr. Mobile and, and Mr. Horsley raised these concerns. We, we made a good faith attempt to address them. And unfortunately, in, in an effort to advocate against the project, Every time we responded to the request for information, they moved the goalposts and it became not providing information. It's providing certain information up to their specifications. And then it became sharing uh, proprietary background data, which uh, which we were unwilling to do during that, that process. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to, to go into this process now. 
uh, having to defend work that, that wasn't ours. Dr. Dillon's work stands mm -hmm. for itself. He was reviewing the project in its entirety, uh, including work that's that's outside of this commission's jurisdiction. Uh, he was reviewing not only the analysis that was provided by the applicant, he was reviewing Dr. Rosine's analysis as well. So his review was of the entire project. It wasn't limited to one of the infiltration basins. Uh, with that, uh, I defer to Phil in, if he has any anything he'd like to add to what I just said on that. Just a quick just a question. Quick. Uh, hang on, Phil, for a minute, if I can ask Attorney Schomer. Um, Am I correct that uh, that uh, Mr. or Dr. Dillon, and I, I, I don't know what his position is, um, was he reviewing the Rosine analysis? He was, uh, Mr. Chair. His letter notes that he, he reviewed the entirety of the Rosine analysis as well as Dr. Mobile's analysis itself. And the Rosine analysis was uh, hand touche or was it the, the uh, mod flow? Dr. Rosine's analysis was mod flow. Uh, after after uh, Dr. Mobile raised concerns about our use of hand touche, in an effort to respond to that concern, we submitted a mod flow analysis. In response to concerns with respect to that, we provided an updated um, mod flow analysis, which which modeled not only the groundwater mounting of the site but also off-site impacts to the to the uh, adjacent off-site stream, uh, which, as Phil noted in his letter, that report is available for review by the commission. It's a public record. It's on the Zoning Board of Appeals website. It demonstrated lower uh, groundwater levels to, uh, excuse me, uh, less uh, groundwater impact to the off-site wetland as opposed to existing conditions based upon the detention and retention of, ground, of uh, stormwater on the site. But putting aside the burden of proof in this whole process and, and, and the burden of production, you, you say that it's available to us on the ZBA website, but as the applicant, A, you didn't submit it, and B, you're refusing to submit it. Is that a correct statement? We're, I, would, I would phrase it, Mr. Chair, as we're declining because it's not required by the stormwater management standards. And, and, and just, just for, the, for the reason why, the, the back and forth over this issue, as it is doing right now, I fear, simply raises uh, concerns and, and it causes confusion. And unfortunately, that's that's the that's the intent of, of Dr. Mobile and, and Mr. Horsley is to create confusion and create the impression that this project is going to lead to the sky falling and all of the groundwater flowing off site into the neighbor's properties, which simply is not the case. And after reviewing all of this, including Dr. Ozine's report, what, what uh, Mr. or Dr. Dillon, I don't know if he's a, a doctor or not, uh, his recommendation was, and I quote, we do not recommend investing additional time and energy resolving those issues since the added cost and time is unlikely to yield definitive and reliable results. That's his words. Right, I, I, I understand. I understand what you just said, um, but I, I discount. This is a, to some extent an adversarial proceeding, so I, I, I discount things like it's a joke. And so don't worry about that's not going to influence us at all. But but the substantive material that's been presented does raise an issue, and 
I don't think you can say that GZA, in making a strong recommendation that the applicant perform this three-dimensional uh, modeling with site-specific data, that's not adversarial. That I would think that that's more along our lines as the neutral um, arbiter of you know what what information is necessary and what information is appropriate to make a rational and appropriate decision. So I, I again, I, I would ask you to reconsider, uh, and I know it's in writing, but you can erase it if you want. Um, I, I still think we need that, that modeling that's been recommended to us by our own consultant. Um, and I, I'd add, and I'm not sure that I, I know when we were at 582, we got to the point of, of, of you saying, we're not going to give it to you. And, and therefore, you know, we, we had ruled against the permit on the basis that we didn't have sufficient information. I, I don't want to go in that same direction. And I hope we're not going in that same direction. But when our own consultant says, this is what you need. And you're saying, I'm not going to give it to you for whatever reason. It's not relevant. It's not necessary. It's not required. Um, I'm still looking for best management practices and I, and I'm looking for, you know, what's the best and, and most appropriate way to protect the, the resources that, that is our charter that is our mandate. Would you take some time to reconsider getting us that modeling information? At this point, Mr. Chair, the answer to that is, is no. And the, and the reason why I say that is, is not because we're trying to be obstructionist. It's not that we're, we're trying to withhold information our position is that we're entitled to be held to the same standard as Winter Valley, as the previous uh, projects that were before the commission, the projects that will be before the commission in the future. We're entitled to demonstrate compliance with the stormwater management standard based on the preliminary plans that you have, which is the same level of detail that you will see for every project that comes before you of this nature, including Winter Valley, which, which as I noted previously, was just approved by this commission literally next door to this project with similar soils, similar groundwater conditions. Respectfully, the position of the applicant is that we're being requested to, to be held to a higher standard. And I would put this back to the question to, to Mr. D'Ambrosio. I think this is an appropriate question that, that Phil raised previously, whether the recommendations that GZA has made is based on the stormwater management handbook, whether that information must be provided in order to demonstrate compliance. Because if it's not, we're entitled to, to take the position that we have taken with the commission tonight. We're, we're, we're entitled to, the analogy would be driving down 95 to go to Gillette Stadium and the cop pulling you over and saying, well, I pulled you over, did you know how fast you're going 65? Well, why didn't you go 60? The answer is because we're not required to. We're, we're entitled to be held to the same standard as every other project that's reviewed by the commission. Well, that's a, an interesting analogy, and, analogy, and it's also yeah, an interesting yeah. analogy to 600 Cand Avenue, which is Winter Valley. Um, and we are acutely sensitive to uh, applying the rules and regulations to everyone in a uniform fashion. Um, and it, it comes up quite often. We try to be uniform in our approach and our rulings. Um, but Winter Valley didn't bring in 52,000 cubic yards and, and raise their elevation by nine feet. This is, I, I, think, I think Phil will agree, it's a challenging or complex, I'm sorry, you said, I think you said it's a complex um, project. I, I think it's an extraordinary project, but um, I, I 
don't think we're being unreasonable in asking for it. But let me, I, I should stop talking and because I, I, I'd like very much to hear from Hans that you've got a, a, some significant uh, site experience. Um, do you have a sense of whether or not the GCA recommendation that we get 3D modeling and site specific data is an appropriate recommendation for us to follow? So uh, I, I want to be clear, I'm, I'm not an engineer. So I, I have experience in site construction. I have experience in, in reviewing wetland applications. I, I will have to rely on the, the opinions of the professional engineer that, that is acting as a third party and, and would ask that, that, you know, to the extent that the applicant's willing to, you know, we, we try to, um, abide by their, their requests. Um, I don't, I, I agree with the statements that are being made that this is a complex project. Um, this is the, the complexity of the project is, is not the same as, as other instances that you've mentioned simply because of the, the change in elevation, um, the amount of material being imported. I mean, that is, that is unique in, in that it, it makes the site challenging. Um, and so uh, I, I would say that there is a additional level of review that is warranted based on those conditions. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Doyle, do you have any thoughts or comments as to whether or not uh, it's appropriate to request additional analysis by the applicant? I think my thinking is very similar to that, which was just voiced by Hans. And that the more information we have, the better the decision that the Conservation Commission can make on behalf of the town of Milton. All right, thank you. Wendy, any thoughts or questions or comments? Um, I'm in agreement with, with Arthur and Hans. Um, I, I don't think that we're asking too much to be consistent with what um, GCA is recommending. And I, I would also like to see that model. And just to reiterate on that, I mean, uh, we do understand that that um, Mr. Hor Mr. Horsley and, and I'm sorry, um, Mr. Mobile are representing uh, abutters and, and are taking a very hard look at, at what's being requested, but specifically going back to the, the request by GZA. And so um, not looking to move the goalposts at this point, we're looking to address the, the request by our third party consultant mm -hmm. and not looking to simply appease the, the, all the requests of the, of the, the uh, individuals that are re representing the abutters. But what about, uh, and, and I, I'm reflecting back on something that uh, Ned Cochran said that uh, Mr. Dillon came in close to the end of uh, the hearing before the ZBA and was not examined. Um, Phil, do you, do you think that it would be appropriate for us to, um, you know, bring him uh, forward or request that he come, come forward uh, on this? Because I, I'm, I'm really hung up on it. It's only 10% of the analysis that's been done. Um, I'm trying to figure out how do you extrapolate from, and again, I'm approximating on the 10%. It's some smaller percentage than the whole. It sounds like, or it appears that there's a lot of extrapolation or interpolation that's going on. 
there. Would it, do you think it would be appropriate for us to, to ask him to come in and explain how he did his analysis and and, uh, and sort of establish the reliability of, of what he said? Um, I, you could, Mr. Chairman. Obviously, I agree with what Jesse laid out, which is neither one of us certainly want to speak for him this evening. He's not here. We don't want to misrepresent his calculations and analyses. So if you're comforted, more comforted by hearing it directly from him, yes, of course. Uh, we had introduced Sean Reardon of Tetratech at the onset of this hearing, uh, you know, as somebody that you could rely upon. Uh, if I could go back in time, I think the, the commission declined the opportunity to ask Mr. Reardon any questions as, as to what transpired through the Zoning Board of Appeals process. So I think we're maybe getting some mixed messages. Maybe we're a little further beyond in the conversation that Mr. Dillon's testimony would be beneficial, but this commission didn't want to hear it from Tetratech initially because we felt it would be valuable information for you, for this commission to hear what had transpired. All right, let me let me address the elephant in the room, at least in, in my room. And that is, it, it's obvious that we're looking for more data. Um, if we request a, a continuance, are you going to assent to it? Uh, I think we we would want to understand what would the continuance be contingent upon? Uh, what are you looking for? Would it be for a conversation with Mr. Dillon? Is it for submission of a mod flow analysis? Is it submission of the mod flow analysis that was uh, predicated to, the, that was submitted to the Zoning Board of Appeals? Uh, we would want very specific direction as to why we would continue it before we would answer that. Well, I, I know that I would like to follow the, the strong recommendation of the consultant uh, who is not an adversarial, not in an adversarial position and um, have that analysis done. I do not know whether or not there is sufficient underlying data to run the modeling just as a, I assume it's a program. You just have to plug in the data. And from what I'm hearing, uh, it looks like there's insufficient data to, to run it at sort of full bore, full speed. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what I'm asking. When I say yes, I would like to have the, uh, the 3D modeling done as recommended with site-specific data, because that's part of that same sentence. That's why I brought it up uh, in the first place, and, and you were kind enough to screen share for it. Um, so that yes, I would like to have that. And whether or not you do it or, or GZA does it, um, I, I don't know. Um, it, 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 wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. I assume that once you see the data and once you run the program, it would give us the kind of factual predicate that we'd need to make a decision here. I, I would add to that, Mr. Chairman, that in asking for that, if you are, if you are indeed asking for that, you, you would be asking for site-specific data that the stormwater management does not contemplate. It, it is quite specific on the static calculation that I know Mr. Horsley made mention that he thought it was conflating two different issues and, and I wasn't. The stormwater has specific requirements in it. And when you use the static method of calculation, you do not need to conduct in situ hydraulic conductivity testing, which is a core parameter for the groundwater mounding that would be done within the three-dimensional mod flow analyses. So there, therein lies the rub. 
you can of course ask for what you want, but we're suggesting to you that it would exceed the limits of the stormwater number. If this were, and, and uh, Jesse was just making the analogy to 600 and they want, you want to be treated uh, the same way and I appreciate that. But this is an unusual site. And you know, when we're looking for conductivity tests, that's not unreasonable if you're adding nine feet of fill. I mean, that's an extraordinary amount of fill. And yeah, I, somebody better be looking at that. And I'm not sure that the sort of the, you know, the, the plain vanilla regulations are designed to look at this kind of an unusual challenging project site. That's why I asked you the question about the difference between the regulations and the standard of care for engineers and, and hydrologists. Because my, my view is that this is such an unusual site with that 52,000 cubic yards of fill that it, it requires us to kind of <laughs> to look beyond the, the, the bare bones regulations and look to what is the standard of care for engineers and hydrologists so that we make sure that we get the best management practices to be applied to this. That, that's why I'm, I'm asking for more data. That's part of the reason I'm asking for more data. And, and yes, we, we are asking for that. Uh, we need enough information to run this kind of modeling that's been recommended to us that we utilize. And my question then goes back to you and, and to uh, Attorney Schomer as to whether or not y'all agree to a, a continuance, um, even for you to decide further or, or consider further whether or not y'all give us that information. Deferring to, to Phil to answer again the, the technical aspects of that of the questions, Mr. Chair. What I what I want to point out is we haven't we haven't really talked about this much before. We recognize that the commission's view and the neighbor's view is that this is a complicated site, and we recognize that there's concern about the amount of fill that's being brought into the site. Um, the reason why the fill is being brought into the site is for the reason of providing the adequate separation between the stormwater management structures and, and groundwater on the site. What I want to make clear to the commission is that in reviewing the project, as I mentioned before, the Zoning Board of Appeals was reviewing the entire site. The commission's review of this project, this is a buffer zone only project. There's only a very small portion of the site that's actually within the commission's jurisdiction here. We have, we have filed with you the, the plans for the entire site. We have engaged in a discussion of the entire site and the stormwater management structures. But the reality is a very small portion of this project is within this commission's jurisdiction. So with respect, we, we recognize the issues that the commission is, is grappling with here, but the submission that has been provided by uh, Phil's office is sufficient to demonstrate compliance, particularly with respect to the small portion of the site that's that's within uh, the commission's jurisdiction. And, and, and just to, to point out also, Mr. Chair, I, by by making analogy to the Winter Valley project, I didn't I didn't want to imply that we're we, we believe that the commission acted inappropriately in any way with that with respect to that project. We believe that's a good project, and we are happy that it was approved. My point was only that we're entitled to be held to the same standard, whereas that project was literally filling a wetland resource and replicating that. This is a buffer zone only project in the same general area with the similar soils. 
So with respect, uh, we, we, we believe that the submission that we've provided is sufficient to demonstrate compliance. And, and the reason why Phil provided references to the Zoning Board of Appeals peer review process is that there's already been an extensive review of this entire project, the entire site, including these issues that are being raised by uh, Mr. Horsley and, and Dr. Rosine tonight. So it's with with respect to them, it, it, what they're attempting to do here is have a second bite at the apple with this project and, and re-review the entire site because the ultimate recommendations and conclusions of the town's peer review consultant did not agree with their own views. So we we respect their their expertise, we respect their opinion, we disagree with them. Yeah, Phil, can I, um, and it, it's, it's apropos of what you just said, uh, Attorney Schomer, but uh, let me shift to Phil because on this conductivity test, I, we need some site-specific data. That's, I believe we need that. Um, what about conductivity on the nine feet of fill? And, and I know it's not all nine feet. It goes from five to nine, but I just selected nine. That's the deep section. Do we know what the conductivity data suggests for that kind of fill? Um, we, we could know. Um, obviously, what goes in underneath the site is controlled fill. We will know the source of that material, and there'll be controlled fill that goes in underneath the stormwater systems. So we will have that hydraulic conductivity value. Um, we're not taking it into account under the design. So if you if you can put um, you know the cross section of the site into your mind for a moment, because we have the fill, that fill provides a saturation zone between the uh, uh, underneath the bottom of the system to the native groundwater table. Um, we're not use, utilizing those hydraulic conductivity values because those will be higher than the native soils. So everything that we've done at this point is based on what's on site, which is the worst case condition. We don't want to seek credit for the fill that goes underneath the system, even though it actually will provide a material benefit to us. And that's what Tetratech also concluded with us during the Zoning and Board of Appeals process. And what about the conductivity tests for you know, the existing conditions? We don't, we don't need to do them. So I just want to be consistent in that response to that question and the request for you know, conducting the slug test, falling head permeability tests, any of those, that language from the stormwater management is, is clear. If you are using this method, they assume that it's a very conservative method so you can generalize the soil characteristics and the on-site conditions do not need to be verified hydraulic conductivity wise. They provide you a, a table of values that we as engineers can use as tools for the design. Would you need that data if you were going to use the 3D modeling, ModFlow or any other similar kind of 3D modeling? Not, not necessarily. I, I suspect Dr. Mobile, Dr. Horsley, Dr. Rosine on our team may have a difference of opinion, um, but, but you know whether or not you aggregate that data, obviously if you get it, maybe it makes your model more accurate but I'm sure you could use mod flow using the hydraulic conductivity values that we've used for the Hentouche analysis. I don't want to speak that as a professional. Like I said, I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll agree or, or speak differently to the matter, but I think it could actually go either way, Mr. Chair. All right. Um, so I, I see, I'd, I'd like to, you know, come to a conclusion on this because uh, the time is, Fleeting mm. here, but I see some hands. I see Michael um, and I see Lara Roach and I see Scott Horsley. Can we take those and 
rapid succession and then uh, uh, make a formal request for additional information and see what your response is. Uh, Mike Mobile, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll, I'll be quick, Mr. Chair. Thank you. Um, so I, I, first of all, I disagree with Mr. Cordero's assertion that somehow a higher conductivity fill would automatically constitute a, 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 a result that would be more favorable in the direction of the applicant. It could certainly be if, if the fill is much higher conductivity than they've assumed, and they have not represented that fill in their mounting analyses to date. Uh, that could extend the lateral extent of the mounting effect over a much broader area than has been assessed thus far in any of the analyses that they have submitted uh, to date. So uh, he's just wrong in that, that statement. Um, but I think the, the main reason I had my hand raised was to just one more time through you, Mr. Chair, please ask the, the applicant to tell us specifically what mounting analysis it is that they feel meets the, uh, the, the requirements, including the requirements listed in the Mass Stormwater Handbook, because their, their letter says that the NOI filing materials have, have met all applicable requirements. And I'm, I'm just, first of all, it, it seems like a mounting analysis hasn't been submitted. If they're relying on Mr. Dillon's analysis, well, I think we just saw how that's deficient. So um, I, I'm just trying to understand where we are. Um, and if there's any remote basis for their their claim that they're they're meeting all right so thank i'll you. just ask you again mr chair to, to ask uh that question please thank you all right uh, uh phil can you answer the question i could restate it if you want but what mounting analysis are you relying on yeah if you if you could restate it without the hurled insult that would be helpful but um, right no, I, I'm, I, I ignore yeah. any any hyperbole but, but what Mounting analysis, are you relying on? Yes, Mr. Chairman, the, the Hantouche calculations. And which one specifically, Mr. Chair? Is it Mr. Dillon's or is it Ellen and Majors? Um, that's that's a I don't I didn't hear any hyperbole there. Fair question. W which one is it? Um, Alan Majors. Alan and Majors, Mr. Chair. Alan and Majors. Okay, so so it's it's then not Mr. Dillon. Is that it? Well, Mr. Dillon was asked to review the materials and Mr. Dillon rendered his own opinion. So that will stand as it is and I won't speak for him, but we submitted Hantu's derivation calculations for the for the mounding below the system. Right, but are you relying upon uh, Mr. Dillon as well as your own? We, we are of course relying upon our own, but then we are relying upon the determinations made by Mr. Dillon because he, he made those representations at the review and the request of the town. Are they, well, are they different? Uh, I don't have them in front of me this, this evening, uh, so I, I don't want to speak inappropriately on them. Well, Mr. His, Chair, his, one, one, his, 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 his conclusion that, that Jesse alluded to was, Mr. Dillon that is, and I'm paraphrasing it because Mr. Shoma brought it up, is that no further analysis should be done under the mod flow because he had concerns about it. And then he and he went on to say that it wasn't required, but he made reference, I believe, to the fact that the Hantouche derivation calculations were provided to him or provided to Texas Tech. And he agreed with them, or or did he come to any conclusion or determination? He, he again, I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of me, so we can review okay, the I'm material not, together. I'm, but he he agreed that there was there were no. Uh, there are no adverse risks from the site with the construction that we proposed, that the, the perimeter, the breakout, all of the conditions that 
uh, all of the sky is falling conditions that everybody's trying to describe here simply would not happen. That, that was his summation. Understood. Thank you. Uh, Lara Roach, you have your hand up. I, she may not be listening. Scott, do you want to go forward? Sure, Mr. Chairman, I'll be brief. I just have three points. And I do want to respond to the hyperbole by Mr. Schomer um, regarding what I'm doing here in my analysis. Um, I'm not here to oppose this project. And I take that as an insult that you suggest that I'm, that's what I'm doing. I don't, that's no, not my I, role here at all. We, we, don't, we don't have to get into that. Just keep it substantive. Well, substantively, I am working on two affordable housing projects. I work for the largest developer in the state of Massachusetts, as well as EPA, several municipalities, as well as doing peer review. So I want to I want to be clear with the commission that I'm not here as an advocate. I'm here as a scientist representing water resources because that's my interest. More than half of our waters in the Commonwealth are impaired, and I believe it's because of Poor development that doesn't meet standards, Mr. Chairman. That's why I'm here, not to oppose this development, to make sure that's correct. I'd be happy to talk in great detail about that, Mr. Schomer, at any point you'd like to. I think you're All here right. as an advocate. Second point. All right, that, uh, yes. Second point, Mr. Chairman, to your point about collecting hydraulic conductivity data, which, again, um, Mr. Cordero is incorrect. The slide he showed is that has to do with whether or not you meet the recharge volumes, whether or not required to do um, permeability tests. If you're going to reevaluate groundwater mounding using either model, the hand twitch or mod flow, uh, on-site testing is clearly the preferred method. And that is in the stormwater standards. That is in a different section than what Mr. Cordero showed us tonight. I'd be happy to point that out tonight. We'd like to take the time. I don't suspect we do want to do that. But my point on this is uh, your request to do the on-site hydraulic conduct conductivity testing is a one-day exercise. This is very easy. It's inexpensive. It would clearly aid the analysis. I think even Mr. Cordero said it would make it more accurate. So I don't see any reason why we don't want to have it. It's one day's worth of work, uh, much less costly than what we're spending here tonight discussing this. So that's point number two. And my final point number three is, and I is that, um, again, uh, GZA has been hired. We're hearing a lot about the ZBA's consultants. I think we're at a conservation commission hearing. My understanding is you hired GZA. They are highly regarded in this field, probably more so than Tetra Tech in my, in my opinion, although Tetra Tech's a good firm. Um, and they have a recommendation before you, which is pretty clear. And I guess I don't see why the applicant wouldn't want to provide the model and provide the files. Uh, I think it was Mr. Schomer described as proprietary data. Um, it's not proprietary data. It's the data that was used to generate the model. As Mr. Mobile, Dr. Mobile said, said, it's standard engineering practice to provide your assumptions, your input data on any calculation model has nothing to do with whether it's proprietary or non-proprietary. Perhaps that's some legal ease one might want to try to add to this. But the fact of the matter is, if the commission and GZA want to understand and review the model, they should see the input data. It's that simple. It's standard practice. So I, in addition to your request for request requiring the model 
uh, and the on-site hydraulic conductivity testing, one day's worth of work. I would also suggest that we reiterate, that you reiterate the request for the data, the files that go into the model. And uh, I'll stop there, Mr. Chairman, thank you. All right, thank you. Hi, good evening. Uh, Phil, can I, can I ask a question, Phil? Do you agree that, um, because this, this is a, a legitimate factor, do you agree that getting that, um, you know, the hydraulic conductivity permeability tests, is that relatively cheap and relatively fast? Uh, it can be, it can be. I mean, you know, Mr. Horsley pointed out it could be a day, day's worth of work. It depends on the contractor that you engage, the availability of them, when it's being done, how many tests you're doing. So obviously there's a lot of factors that go into it, but, but it could be done in a day. Uh, the test can be conducted relatively quickly. We, we, you know, we obviously scientifically can't, agree, can't disagree on how to conduct the test. That's prescribed by AS, ASDM. Uh, you know, so so yes, it, it can be done quickly. They they could be done economically, all things considered. Sure. Okay, uh, fair enough. Thank you. Uh, and I, I I'll try again for Lara Roach. I I see your hand up, but I. Yes. Hi. Oh, there you good are. Good e Good evening. Um, apologies, I had some issues with my microphone Zoom settings. Okay. Um, so I'm Lara Roach, 44 Holmes Lane. Um, and I just wanted to speak up on on behalf of um, some of others. I, I did, you know, I I've been listening all night. I've, we've been listening for months. I think it's been years now. Um, but you know, let it be known truly that this is is nothing new from the applicant and in this applicant's team. Um, concerned about ours and and yes, our our paid consultants have requested more information. We've requested more details. We've requested a mod flow file. Um, and the ZBA has also requested more information, um, and they agreed that they would have liked to see that mod flow file. Um, but, but you know, the applicant they refused during the ZBA process to provide more information, more details, the file, just as they're doing now. And uh, Scott brought it up, and I want to reiterate, uh, I we just don't understand why they would not agree to provide that file or do a more thorough analysis. And the only reason that comes to mind is that because they are worried about what additional analysis might show. So this, you know, this reluctance we're seeing tonight, and this is nothing new, it's purposeful and it's strategic. And speaking on behalf of, you know, direct butters, um, it's very alarming. We continue to be very worried about the water impact that this project could have on our neighborhood and our properties. So, you know, this is nothing new. Um, I, I, I did wanna, you know, mention that tonight, this is, behavior that we've seen throughout this entire process. Unfortunately, they have not worked in partnership with us at all as neighbors. Thank you. All right, uh, thank you, Ms. Roach. Um, all right, I, th I think we've uh, yeah, we've vetted the issues. Um, and I, I, I believe there's a consensus uh, among commission members here that we do need additional information, including the, uh, you know, the, the, the modeling analysis, uh, the three-dimensional modeling analysis, um, the conductivity tests and permeability tests, which would be the, I believe the site specific data that is recommended um, by our consultant TZA. Um, and I'd like to add that the, the data that's already been performed and was used as a basis for the modeling uh, before the ZBA. And I understand that the, the results of the modeling was given, but the data was not but we, we'd uh, make a request for all of that. Um, so 
we're now at the crossroads and I'm trying to avoid um, a situation like we had in 582. Uh, I'd like to be able to continue the hearing and get that data. Uh, so I make a formal request to, to Attorney Schomer and to uh, Phil Cadero. Um, will you please provide that, uh, number one? And two, will you consent to an, a continuance to the February meeting? Well, uh, Mr. Chair, so to, to be clear, as Phil has already articulated, the applicant is, is not willing to perform mod flow analysis. We're not going to be conducting conductivity testing. We're, we're relying on the application materials that have been submitted to date. So going back to, to Phil's point, if, if the request for the continuance is for the purpose of us providing that information or the, the commission potentially seeking that information from from some other source, we would not be in agreement with that request. If the requests were limited to, for example, an assessment of, of Mr. or Dr. Dillon's uh, assessment of the project, we, we may be willing to, to agree to that. If there is a proposal for the engineers to meet and confer regarding uh, GZA's final recommendation letter, recognizing that they may have not uh, seen Alan Major's response letter until uh, about a week ago, we we may be willing to to agree to that. But for the purpose that you're outlining, Mr. Chair, of, of conducting additional study and analysis, the answer to that is no. What I would suggest in that case, if that's what the, the commission is looking for at this point, is that to avoid a similar situation of the 582 Blueville Avenue project and, and not to refer to that excessively because that's that's not part of the, the, the record on this project, is that we would suggest that the, we're at the point now where the submission before you tonight and to date is sufficient for the commission to craft conditions on this project. It's sufficient to assess the wetlands uh, protection need for this site, for the, for the proposed project, and on that basis to, to determine appropriate conditions within the 21-day period that the commission has to issue the decision. Uh, we we would respectfully suggest that you could consult with your your in consulting engineer at GZA with respect to the the crafting of those conditions, with the with the interest being of of keeping jurisdiction over this project within the commission and avoiding the situation with five five eighty two Blueville Avenue where we we had no choice but to seek intervention by the state to have them issue issue the approval for the project and and effectively take take jurisdiction out of the hands of the commission. We're, we're not looking to do that here. We would like to, to reach an accommodation with the commission for an approval of the project subject to conditions that you find appropriate. But with respect to the to, to the issue that you raised, Mr. Chair, we, at this point, we are not willing to provide the, the additional uh, mod flow and conductivity analysis that you've suggested because for the reasons we stated previously, it's, it's simply not required by the stormwater management standards and is not being required by the commission for other similar projects. Well, I, I'm not sure there are any other similar projects with, I've never heard of a project with that much fill coming in. Um, but I, I, I get your point. All right, well, my, my view, and, and this is just my personal view to the commissioners, um, is that we need this data. It's been recommended that we get this data and that we do the modeling, the three-dimensional modeling uh, with site-specific data to be input in order to determine whether or not the system is going to work. Um, 
I think that's appropriate. I think it's part of our charter and mandate uh, in fulfilling our obligation to implement the state regulations. And we're not confusing this with the town bylaw. We understand the comprehensive permit uh, implications. Um, and that's my view. So I, I, I think that it would be great to have um, Dr. or Mr. Dillon come in and explain that, but I, that's not by itself. It would be in conjunction with getting additional data and particularly the mod flow analysis completed. That, that's my view. So I, but I'd like to hear from uh, uh, Hans and Wendy and Arthur. Hans, what say you, sir? You're still on mute. Um my my position hasn't changed that is we need the data the yes what the what our third party consultant has requested okay wendy that's the same for me john um i agree with you and hans arthur i concur all right, so we, we've we now you've got a consensus. We haven't had a vote yet, but the consensus is pretty clear that we do need that data. We do formally request it, um, and I I don't mean to say it and assume that you know everything, but clearly it's it's the modeling, it's it's the uh, uh, site specific data uh, as requested by our consultant, the hydraulic conductivity tests, the permeability tests. Uh, in order to allow us or you or if need be our consultant to uh, perform the three-dimensional um, analysis for mounting analysis. So that is our formal request. Um, uh, you can answer now or later on, but the next question is, um, will you assent to the continuance to get that information? Mr. Chair, if I may, just before answering that question, may just if I if I may offer one suggestion. Sure. I I think it it may be helpful as I as I suggested previously to have a, a meeting of the engineers, to have Mr. D'Ambrosio, Mr. Cordero, and Mr. Reardon and uh, Dr. Mr. Dillon from Tetratech have a conference with each other to to assess this issue and to determine what it was that, that was done previously by Tetratech, because we're not aware of whether Mr. D'Ambrosio was aware that, that Tetratech had, had performed as an extensive review as they had when the recommendation uh, was issued by GZA for the additional analysis to be performed. I think it, it may be helpful to have that conversation between the engineers to iron out the issues, to determine what exactly uh, additional review, if any, is is relevant to the commission's review, and 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 I think that that would be helpful for the commission in assessing whether the request for this information needs to be responded to by the applicant in order for the commission to issue an order of conditions for the project, and 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 I would suggest that that conversation could take place in the presence of one or more commissioners without violating the open meeting law. It's been it's been done in previous projects. And in fact, those those kind of offline conversations were had during the Zoning Board of Appeals process. I make that suggestion not in the in the interest of, of uh, concealing what the, the content of that conversation is. It can be noticed as a public meeting um, and, and attended by the commissioners if, if that would be helpful for you. 
Um, but I think that the, the, the answer to that question of whether the additional study and data is required under the stormwater management standard is something that TetraTech would have a, a relevant opinion on and is a question that could be answered prior to the commission taking the position, as you've suggested tonight, Mr. Chair, that you will be formally requesting this information and, and putting us in the position of, of either assenting to or declining that request. Uh, understood. I, I should say, I say this with full respect for um, uh, Steve D'Ambrosio, but the hydrologist that we hired, and this, remember, going back to the beginning, under Chapter 44, Section 53G, our intent was to hire a hydrologist, and that's Jim Week. And it's Jim Week that made sort of a strong recommendation that we get the data so that I, I'm not sure what discussions you're talking about so that the engineers could iron out the differences to come to a legal conclusion as to uh, what the minimum standards are as opposed to the standard of care. I think that's inappropriate and it's certainly not the role of GZA under chapter 44, section 53G. They are our consultant to respond to our questions to assist us in understanding the hydrology. They've made a recommendation and, and we've approved, you've heard the consensus, uh, we're going with the recommendations and that's not uh, an advocate. That's the independent uh, GCA hydrologist that we're talking about. So, um, and, and the other thing is, and I know you said you, you could have this full discussion as a public meeting. Um, <clears throat> I'm very, very attuned to the open meeting law, the public meeting aspect of this. I want any discussions to be had in public and not, as you say, and I'm, I'm not demeaning this, but ironed out between and among the engineers because we've got you know, different levels of participation here. And um, it, it's not up to the engineers to decide whether or not th there's a minimal requirement for you know, the stormwater handbook uh, as opposed to best management or standard of care. That's within our purview. That's the Conservation Commission. Um, and at this juncture, uh, I can speak for myself, uh, but from what I've heard so far, I think we're in agreement that we need this data to find out what is the best and most appropriate way uh, to, to have this analysis completed to see if the system works. Um, so I appreciate what you're doing, but I think, um, and I, I said it was the elephant in the room before, I, I think we're now at the, at the same juxtaposition that we were with 582. We've made the request, we need the data, we're following the recommendations from our independent consultant, and do you or do you not agree to the continuance? Or I guess there may be an alternative. Can we get the data from somebody else? I mean, can we go on the land and do the testing ourselves? Hmm. Uh, Mr. Chair, I think I think the answer to that, it, we're, we're unfortunately, I, I believe, coming to the same point as we were on, on 582 Blue Hill Avenue. The answer to that is no. We're we're not we're not going to be agreeing to further continuances for for further study and and data collection or analysis with respect to these issues. And again, recognizing that, that this is not an adversarial proceeding, we're not in any adversarial position with respect to GZA. We respect their expertise, as well as uh, as well as the the, the abutters uh, representatives as well. We respect their expertise as well. It's a difference of opinion. Here we, we respectfully submit that we sub submitted 
the necessary information to comply with the stormwater management standards. And, and, and Phil made note of this, and I'll make note of it again for the record. We take issue with the with the characterization of this as as meeting the the minimum requirements or or differentiating the regulatory standard from the standard of care or best management practice. They're one and the same in our position. The the, the regulations are are prepared by expert hydrogeologists and professional engineers for the purpose of meeting the standard of care, and we've met that with the commission. Mr. Chairman, could I could I add something to it? I, I think we're headed down down a road. Obviously, Jesse laid out the position <clears throat> that our goals, <laughs> excuse me, are obviously to work with the commission. Um, do we not afford Mr. Wheat an opportunity to weigh in on this discussion? You've you've obviously afforded him uh, quite a heavy hand in requesting the information that can that the commission has deemed necessary. We've now talked about this for going on two hours this evening, and we also have a response package in front of them that GZA has not yet responded to. Um, I might suggest, and you know, obviously Jesse and on, uh, you know, on our side of the applicant, what if the continuance is is based on hearing from Mr. Wheat, which you have uh, you have drawn him into the process as being the essentially the sole party from GZA that you are relying upon. Uh, let's hear further commentary from Mr. Week relative to what has transpired here this evening and see if his position as authored in page four of his letter has somehow changed. And he could speak that to the commission and then you can elect to either continue on your path with the request for information or otherwise change. Uh, just putting it out there because, you know, I, I think we want to exhaust any and all opportunities to work with the commission and, and just hearing your your interest in his particular statements, he's the one voice that we have not heard from this evening and perhaps his is, is most important at this juncture. I'm, I'm understood and that's probably not a bad idea, but it, it's not, we're not doing it in lieu of our request, but we could continue it uh, with the understanding that we've made the request to you, uh, whether you uh, respond positively or negatively is in your camp. But we could continue this until the 14th of February, and at that time have uh, Mr. Week appear. Is that is that acceptable? So I'm I'm <clears throat> I'm I'm going to defer to Jesse. I think it's a reasonable opportunity for a conversation. GZA can review the materials that were provided to them, you know, as a response to their initial letter. And then we hear the testimony directly from Mr. Wheat. Further to that, Mr. Chair, and I apologize for the for the perhaps pregnant pause between the, the end of your question and the, the beginning of Phil's response. We're, we're in real time. We're just trying to uh, uh, confer with our clients regarding your request. Uh, subject to to the Phil's suggestion and um, and may I put this this way, that we put a pin, as it were, in the commission's request for information. We we won't uh, we won't say definitively yes, we won't say definitively no at this point, uh, but uh, continue for the purpose of, of hearing further from Mr. Week uh, for a response letter from GZA in advance of, of the February 14 hearing uh, with, I, I would suggest, a week before the hearing so that everyone can have an opportunity to, re to review and, and have a productive conversation at the next hearing. Subject to those conditions, we, we we would be willing to agree to a continuance to the to the fourteenth. 
Uh, I'm sorry, could you repeat the, the last condition that what would be submitted? Uh, we, we, would, we would request the GZA's response letter to Alan Major's um, most recent comment letter be provided just a suggestion a week before the hearing so that everyone can can review and, and have a productive conversation of that during the public hearing. That that makes sense to me. Is Steve uh, D'Ambrosio, can you do that? I'm looking around. Is yes, Steve Mr. Chair. Yes. You can, okay. Yes. Mr. Chair, could we also request that, that GZA have access to and review the materials that we filed with the commission since um, July? Yes. Thank you. Yes. All right, so it, it sounds like we have an agreement to continue this matter until the 14th of February with the understanding that GZA will respond um, a week prior to, at least a week prior to the 14th with their response to your, your response. <coughs> um, and that we'll invite Mr. Week to attend and participate in the meeting on the 14th. Agreed? That's correct, Mr. Chair. And, and just, just to clarify uh, with respect to Attorney Cochran's uh, re request just a moment ago, I, I just wanted to clarify the the manner in which the, the material that he's referring to and, and specifically what he's uh, proposing to be provided to GZA and, and how that's conveyed to them with the interest being that the, you, you've expressed a, a strong desire that all communication with the peer reviewer take place in the context of the public hearing. And so we want to make sure that the abutters and their consultants are being held to the same standard and, and are not not providing direct communication with GZA. We don't. We won't. Yeah, that's, we wouldn't go close to that, Jesse. We have submitted materials to the commission. We've submitted copies to you. We don't always get the same uh, um, nicety from you, but you don't provide copies to us. But we've provided cop materials, several sets of materials since from July and October, uh, they are part of the public record and we would ask GZA to review those materials. Yeah, that's right. These are all, this is all, as I understand it, and I think that just reiterated, this is all part of the public record documents that are there. This is not some new communication. Am I correct, Ned? Absolutely. We, we no desire to communicate other than any way through the public process. It sounds like we have a, an agreement for the 14th. Am I correct? All right. Yes. All right. Thank you for your time and attention and patience uh, on this one. It was lengthy, but worthwhile. Um, so now we can go on to the next item, which I have appropriately lost. Uh, number, number nine, John. Yes, what is number nine? Request for the termination of applicability of Brush Hill, uh, sorry, 1259 Brush Hill Road, Lot C. So we continue those? Yes. And number 10, uh, amendment of order of conditions, 1259 Lot D, continued hearing. Yeah, we, we I thought we went through those, Steve. Um, oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, informational, Heverly Park resolution. Hi, um, thank you all for having me. Um, this is Jackie Golden here. Um, I'm here on behalf of um, Scott McKay and um, Parks Department as well. Um, we submitted a, I, I came 
to you in July, um, bringing this topic up. Um, and since then, I just want to give a little bit of an update in request of a support letter um, for the CPC application process that is taking place right now. Um, we have submitted the CPC application. Um, jointly, I submitted it with Scott McKay again in um, the Board of Parks Department. Um, it is to request $40,000 of funding um, to what we are calling to get the space shovel ready. That means do site survey, permitting, construction drawings, um, to do get all of our ducks in a row before um, going another round of funding to ask for a physical structure on Heavily Park. Um, a few updates since July. Um, we have been given the legal go ahead to put a physical structure on the property, which I think is hurdle one. Um, as part of the application, a few of the goals I want to point out that we are stressing on this is um, providing more parks um, for the entire community. Um, and if this were to pass, we would it would be the only town operated park on the west side of Milton, um, west side being categorized um, to west of the parkway. And it's utilizing what we already have. Um, I don't think it's a secret that Milton, there's um, not a lot of space to um, have a park put on um, the west side of Milton. So this is an underutilized green space that we would be using. Um, the intention would be to have minimal disruption as possible. Um, and another um, big topic that the CPC and I think you as well in July was um, support from the community. Um, and since then we have been building support from the community. Um, we have started um, a petition um, for um, supporters. I think we started it um, just after Christmas and we are just under 400 supporters. And we have been gathering um, support letters for people in the immediate proximity. So we have several abutters um, providing support letters. I think we have just over a dozen letters. Again, abutters, we actually have um, the owner of the gas station writing a support letter, um, the principal of Tucker School, um, and to just to name a few. Again, the uh, formal request here tonight would be to um, have a support letter from the Conservation Commission um, with our CPC application. Jackie, thank you very much. And we recall when it first came up and uh, we've had a number of discussions with Scott McKay and, and others. Um, and we, we actually have a request to the Park Department to support our uh, CPC, CPA uh, committee proposals to put in a pedestrian bridge. Um, yeah. So I understand exactly what you're doing. Uh, we have submitted our proposal for the pedestrian bridge and, and have claimed that it's in support of the CPA uh, goals of open space and recreation. And I think uh, your proposal does that as well. Uh, it, it's a public amenity 
Uh, I, I think it's an important use of open space and it keeps it as open space. When you said structure, I just want to make sure that nobody thinks that that's a, you're not putting a building in there. No, sorry. Because <laughs> you're coming before the Conservation Commission to do it, you know. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I think it's a little bit more fancier word to say playground. <laughs> yes, it's a, play, it's a playground. Uh, and I think when we first discussed this uh, uh, several months ago, there was sort of a, a consensus of support, and I certainly support that. I'd, I'd like to hear from uh, you know, Wendy and Arthur and uh, Hans uh, to see what their position is. Because what, what we'd be looking for is rather than a letter, it would probably be appropriate to have a resolution uh, that the Conservation Commission supports the uh, request by the Park Department to uh, construct a playground within Beverly Park in compliance with all of the Wetlands Protection Act and the, the town bylaw as well. But Wendy, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, well, I'm I'm uh, I'm delighted to see you here tonight. Thank you for coming before us. Um, I'm very excited about about your proposal that um, for the community, but also as um, the Conservation Commission's representative on the CPA, um, the CPC. Excuse me. Um, it's very late. Thank you for being here. <laughs> being I almost late. forgot why I was here. <laughs> Um, I I know that um, some of the discussions that we had um, with the Community Preservation Committee was that um, since since your proposal is um, adjacent to the proposal of of this commission, um, the the Community Preservation Committee was um, hoping to see collaboration um, between your group as well as the Conservation Commission. So um, I'm wondering if there's maybe something um, above and beyond that we could do um, above and beyond um, just letters of support um, for each other's projects, but maybe, um, you know, some sort of agreement that, that um, there's representation from um, your committee, um, when we're discussing the project as the Conservation Commission and vice versa. Yeah, 100%. Um, I, I, I can bring this back to Scott as well, but I don't see any issue with that on my end. Um, I think that would be, it would be amazing. John, does that seem like something that might be um, applicable. I don't know if there's any kind of precedence that's been set for something uh, like that. The, the, there is, but it, it has to happen because it, it does depend upon where the playground is located. But if it's within 200 feet of Pine Tree Brook or 100 feet of the uh, of the pond itself, it must come before us as a notice of intent. So uh, by by law, we will cooperate in this. Uh, so I'd be, we don't we don't have to agree to go to each other's meetings because the park department will have to file a notice of intent. Okay, that makes it easy. Yeah, Great. it does. <laughs> it does. Uh, Hans, any thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I, I'm very much in support of the project as as a resident that is in that. Is oh, wait a minute, you're on the east side. I, yes, you're on the east side. <laughs> technically, I am on the east side of Blue Hills Parkway, yeah. and, and Pine Tree Brook is, is visible from my house. Um, but yes, I, I use that area very often. Um, 
I would have liked to have seen this in place five years ago so my my daughter could take better care of it. But um, I'm I'm better late than never because I'm I'm very much in support of of improving the, the town and access to uh, these sorts of facilities. And I think that's a, a excellent location for that sort of um, for that sort of improvement. I I do. Um, I do ask John, did we re, was this reviewed against Article 97 and whether or not it did constitute a change in use of the site? Um, and I, I just want to make sure that we're we're um, not going to be called out as as um, not applying the same standard <laughs> across the board, but um, because it is a I, and whether or not that would be considered a a more than passive use of the property or what the other. And I just want to make sure that, that things are being covered appropriately. And it I, did. I it, it, ultimately, it wouldn't require an Article 97 approval. I believe that is correct. And I say, I, I, I make that statement, uh, having talked to Kevin Freytag at town council. Initially, and Jackie, if you have met of it, initially we had a problem because we thought we owned the land. Yeah. And if it were 97, we don't have any land to give in exchange for land that yeah. we're, you know, uh, changing use for. Uh, then we found out we don't own the land. Uh, and the land is owned for general municipal purposes by the town itself. Um, that gets us off the hook, but it, it, it keeps the town on the hook. So Kevin Freitag and, and uh, his team took a look at the deed and said that there's no uh, conservation restrictive language there that would uh, require a change of use from uh, passive recreation to active recreation. So that he doesn't believe that there will be a trigger um, of uh, Article 97. But so it, it was an issue. I think it's been resolved. And I think that the park department is uh, comfortable with that with that position um, because it, it it would have been it would have been an issue. Arthur, do you agree with that? You're still on mute, Arthur. There you go. There we go. Thank you, John. Should have been on mute earlier in the meeting. <laughs> in fact, they hit the mute button, but it didn't work. <laughs> uh, I was saying that uh, our home abuts Andrews Park, where there is such a playground. And we see throughout the year the enjoyment of people uh, within and beyond our neighborhood, including our own grandchildren. So I fully endorse and support this. Um, maybe one of the um, things that the Conservation Commission could do is to, uh, if this park is treeless, um, add a couple of trees, like there are at least two of them, if I remember correctly, within the one here at Andrews uh, Park, and they afford a uh, modicum of uh, shade for the children and parents. And uh, John, your wording earlier in the discussion, I thought was a perfect resolution. And if we could um, accept that wording and employ it from the tape, I will move that your wording be a motion to uh, fully support and endorse uh, this uh, important initiative of Probably Park. <laughs> You're testing my memory, Arthur. <laughs> uh, we have it on Steve, tape. Steve, do you have language or, or, or what we, I do? We have it on tape, John. <laughs> okay. I wasn't I wasn't fast enough with that, John. I'm sorry. 
We'll just play the tape. All right. Well, no, yeah. I, what I suggest is that we uh, propose a, a resolution that the Milton right. Conservation Commission support and endorse uh, the, the uh, a CPA committee application uh, to construct a playground uh, in the area of Beverly Park uh, that provides uh, open access to the public and enhances the uh, goals of the CPA uh, in both in the open space and in the recreation categories. That was better worded than the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Is there such a motion? <laughs> so moved. All right, a second? I'll give you a second on that. All right, good. Any discussion? I should have asked for comments from the public or abutters first, but I hear nothing and see no hands raised. So, any discussion among so conservation commission members? One one suggestion I have, and I don't think it should affect um, this this proposal, but I, I think there is an opportunity for the the, the CPA um, to integrate not only the the pond the the Pine Tree Brook, but um, I think there would be a good opportunity to to support any any master planning that's that's ongoing, and and so look at at things in a comprehensive nature to try to guide things so that the improvements there aren't piecemeal. Um, I think I've brought up to the commission in the past. There's an opportunity to make um, there there may be an opportunity to make the area uh, uh, have a circular walkable area. Um, if we were to look at, um, you know, opportunities for like there's there is a, a paper road that exists that that the town owns that could make the area accessible in circular motion for, for pedestrians, identifying you know where the property boundaries lie, um, you know to, to and and I think the a similar standard should be applied to you know the the parks throughout the town, but. Mr. Chairman, if I may, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt Hans. I was just going to say that Hans's good comments remind me of the Conservation Commission's proposal for the bridge and its relationship to Pebbly Park. Yes, and, and in the application, uh, we acknowledge uh, the fact that there are, you know, several components of this. And actually, one of the uh, CPC members actually brought this up when I made a presentation back in, when was it, October, I guess. Uh, and when we got the original eligibility application in and, and approved. And one of the, the CPC members said, uh, you need to work both with Pebbly Park, but you also need to close the, the, the circuit there. And I think that's what you were just saying. So yeah. where the bridge goes in, um, we need to take that pathway and construct it all the way to where the existing pathway is that the park department puts down the, you know, the, the, the boards over the puddles, et cetera. And so that, that is part of the CPC plan. It's not in our, this year's proposal, but in the introduction to this year's proposal, it's mentioned that there will be other components. One of them being the playground and the other one being closing the, the uh, circumnavigation of the pond. So that's that's very very appropriate, and it's on the radar screen for the uh, CPA committee. So, any other comments, or can we take a vote? 
Wendy, I know you want to say something. <laughs> well, yeah, I just I just wanted to follow up, um, Hans, with your your helpful um, suggestion and comments, and and I just I just wanted to let you and and um, and the public know that um, as part of the requirements of the Community Preservation Act, um, the town of Milton is in the process of updating our open space plan. Um, which will be then utilized by the Community Preservation Committee. Um, and uh, and actually the, the Open Space Committee is meeting tomorrow. <laughs> uh, tomorrow at one o'clock, if anyone would care to join us. Very good, very good. All right, so we have a proposed resolution. Uh, there's been no further discussions, so I'll take a roll call vote. Arthur Doyle, how do you vote, sir? Yes. Wendy Carpo, how do you vote? Yes. Hans Van Lingen, how do you vote? Yes. And I, John Kiernan, vote yes as well. So unanimous, you'll have a resolution. We'll have it printed up uh, for you tomorrow, Jackie. And, and um, <clears throat> you can then submit that to the uh, CPA committee. Is that, sorry, um, is that something I need to pick up or will it be electronically mail, like email to? Uh, yeah, she, I, I'm sure Kathy Bowen can email it. to Kathy, okay. Right. She'll okay. get it to you. Thank all you right. so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Jackie, for thank all your you, work. Thank you, Jackie. Uh, 13 is <coughs> Climate Action Planning Committee. Uh, Arthur, do you want to introduce that? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. The um, select board has been entertaining over six months now uh, recommendations uh, for the creation of a climate action planning committee consistent with uh, what has been going on with other communities and needless to say uh, much of what we're aware of in the greater environment and uh, this would enable us to uh, uh, seek funds under the committee to uh, tie in with um, existing and emerging state regulations and recognizing uh, two, that uh, the new governor has created a climate cabinet secretary. So we see the direction in which um, this important issue is moving. The um, statement of purpose or charge that is before you has gone through multiple iterations. And one of the things that I wanted to note is that there is a sentence in there that says also the uh, climate action Planning Committee shall engage with other Milton committees and commissions having a related purpose, which of course would include the Conservation Commission and that uh, it includes a number of appointment positions, one of which would be um, made by the Conservation Commission. So I'll leave it at that, Mr. Chairman, as a, a brief introduction. The uh, select board will be acting on this uh, tomorrow evening. Uh, that's great. And the, the purpose of putting on our agenda is uh, to consider a resolution by the Conservation Commission to support and endorse uh, the Select Board's decision to uh, form this Climate Action Committee. Um, similarly to what we just did with uh, the Park Department's um, application for funding for the playground, so also would we pass a resolution to uh, encourage and, and the select board to actually approve this committee and to fund it and to make the appointments. 
Um, so I would propose a John, resolution. You, and Steve, do you have my email I do. in front of you? I do. Um, can you see what the resolution and quote, is? And I quote you, the Conservation Commission endorses the proposed creation and implementation of the Climate Action Committee by the Select Board. If approved by the Select Board, the Conservation Commission will designate a member of the Commission for active participation on the Climate Action Committee and will make recommendations to the Select Board for the appointment of additional members of the community with expertise in the fields of climate control and environmental protection, unquote. That's the proposed resolution. Is that is that acceptable, um, Arthur? Sounds wonderful. Is that that's uh, on that email, Mr. Chairman? Is that what? Is that your motion, Mr. Chairman? Yes, it is. That's my motion. Is there a second? Yeah, thanks, Wendy. Any discussion? Hearing none, uh, roll call vote. Arthur Doyle, how do you vote? Yes. Wendy Gapo, how do you vote? Yes. Hans Van Lingen, how do you vote? Yes. And I, John Cannon, vote yes as well, unanimous. <clears throat> Sorry, will you present that uh, tomorrow to the select board, Arthur? It'll be an honor, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> Great. Good enough. Um, additional business. Uh, the only thing, and I can't remember, I don't, now I don't know if I sent our application to everyone on the commission or not. I, I actually don't think I did. <clears throat> but uh, last, through last Thursday um, was the deadline for our application. And I will forward that to you uh, tomorrow morning or tonight if I can find it on my computer. Uh, but we did make an application in phases for the pedestrian bridge. The first one is the site survey. And, and, and Hans, that, that site survey will help in um, identifying where the like, connecting path will go uh, and other, you know, the access to, to where the playground can go as well. Well, we made a request for 15,000 for that and then another thousand uh, for the wetlands delineation. Steve has offered his, his time and expertise to do that. Uh, we put a thousand dollars into that to get a, a, a GPS or GIS machine or whatever it is to actually place the wetlands flag onto the engineering site survey plan. <laughs> um, so that's phase one. Phase two is the uh, design of the bridge. Now, the, the complicating factor here is that the design of the bridge and the fabrication of the bridge requires a, like a lead engineer. And we were uncertain until last Thursday. The submission was done on Friday. On Thursday, we got word back finally from Northeastern University by the president of the Northeastern University American Society of Civil Engineers, um, a man by the name of Macy's. Um, I can't recall his first name, is Edward Macy's? But he has indicated that yes, they, they, Northeastern Engineering Department is still interested in pursuing this. Uh, they're busy right now, but they'll be free and clear to devote their time and resources come September. So phase two is, it, it comes in two subparts. One of them is we asked for $50,000 uh, to get a lead engineer to do the, the design specifications. What that translates into is making the concept drawing that we already have 
into the construction drawing with actual specifications and component parts. We won't need that 50,000 if Northeastern actually formalizes their acceptance of the lead engineer position. So it's a little illusory here because the 50,000 is to get a lead engineer to do this. We think we're going to get it for nothing. Um, but the whole cost of the design we've got at $100,000. Um, and now that is it's design and manufacture or fabrication. So what we did is we looked around to a couple of manufacturers. We went to the town of Walpole in the town of Warren, Rhode Island, both of whom have installed uh, these types of pedestrian bridges. And there are, when I forward it to you, you'll see there are three photographs of what the bridges look like. They're prefab, they're done offsite. Uh, we've got $100,000 in the budget for it. We did get a sort of a conceptual bid in the amount of $66,000 which would be great if we could get it for that. That's uh, by a group called Ravens Marine out of Kissimmee, Florida. And they're the ones that actually constructed or fabricated the, the bridge for the town of Walpole. So the, these, are, these are real 2023 numbers. Um, and then the last phase, uh, we've got another $100,000 allocated for that. And that is for transportation and installation. It's, it's a heavy bridge, so it's going to require, you know, a heavy duty cranes uh, or crane singular to put it in place. And part of that installation is also uh, to get on board uh, a uh, helical pile or uh, uh, helical drilling company on board. We've identified and Joe Sloan has been very active in this. Uh, he's the head of the you know, Friends of the Pope's Pond, uh, a good guy, very active. Uh, he's got some friends at Helical Pile in, in uh, Braintree, and he's hoping to get some discounted services from them. So we believe that we can get the fabrication done for the total of 100000 including the engineering costs, and then secondly, another 100000 um, to actually put it in place, get the Helical Piles in place, uh, which will be done in part by the site survey. We'll know where they're going. Uh, so we've got 16 up front, 100 for the phase two and 100 for phase three. We think we can do it for that. Uh, we've made an application to the CPA committee for 125,000. We already have 100,000 that the town of Milton allocated in June of 2020. So DPW put in a line item for the bridge. So that 100,000 is already encumbered by the town. So we're asking for an additional 125, and we think the total of 225 will cover all of our costs uh, to get it in place. So that, that's gone in. Uh, it's going to be uh, presented verbally by me on uh, February 15th, and we're trying to get uh, um, support just as Jackie Golden was doing tonight. We're trying to get support from the uh, Park Department uh, and from the Select Board. I, asked, I sent Arthur a proposed resolution and asked for the select board to support our proposal. Keeping in mind, town meeting's already done it uh, by approving the first 100,000. And uh, I've got a, a, a call or an email into Kevin Prism from the Park Department asking him to uh, pass a resolution supporting our proposal as well, just as we did his tonight. 
Um, and when I say his, I, I said Kevin, but you know, Scott McKay is the one that's sort of the driving force behind this. But that's additional business. Um, I'll get the, the actual um, application out to you by tomorrow morning. One observation, John, is that yeah. it's very nice to see all of the departments, committees, and commissions working together on oh, the applications for CPC funding to the betterment of the community and the people of Melbourne. And I should specifically mention Chase Berkeley. He's been superb. And of interest, Chase was at Northeastern uh, University School of Engineering back in 2001 and 2002 when the pedestrian bridge on the north side of Pope's Pond was installed. He was in, actually involved in that project. So he knows Northeastern okay. Engineering. He knows the players. It's, it's, it was perfect. And he's the one that's been doing the budgeting. Because I, I mean, I, I'd be guessing. And he said, no, no, that's it's going to cost X, Y, and Z. So the numbers that you see come from two sources. One, um, Chase Berkeley, and the other one was actually from that Raven Marine Inc. from Florida. We actually got a concept bid for 66000 from them. Great. Serendipity. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah, it was perfect. So that's additional business for me. And uh, do anybody have anything else? Just a motion to adjourn, Mr. Chairman. What's that? Uh, adjourn? Oh, Steve yeah. is busy. He's going to keep us until after midnight. <laughs> no, no, not quite. Not quite. I can do this in. We stop at 11.59, Steve. <laughs> okay, it's 11.37 now. I, no, two minutes. Uh, number one, uh, the Neponset River Greenways to the Blue Hills. There was a sidewalk and a listening session on December 6th for the feasibility study and conceptual design uh, for a shared use pathway alignment. Okay. Um, you may not be able to see this, but it's a conceptual for um, a pathway. Okay. Uh, let's see. And in here is Paul's Bridge. Okay, so it comes comes over the Neponset up gradient of Paul's Bridge. Okay, that's number one. And Steve, if and I may um, put a footnote. Yes, certainly. Uh, on Monday, February 6th uh, at 6 o'clock, running to 7.30 p.m. at St. Pius the 10th Parish at Walcourt Road, the Department of Conservation and Recreation will um, be holding an open house session on the deposit to Blue Hills a feasibility study. Oh. I participated in the um, first walk that you just mentioned. Probably wasn't the first walk, but it was a good two-hour site walk with uh, many participants uh, from both Boston and Milton, including representatives of Milton to the legislature, and um, I would encourage as many people as possible to consider attending this open house that will be sponsored by the Department of Conservation and Recreation on February 6th. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Arthur. Well, let me repeat that, Arthur. That was 6 to 7 p.m. Uh, it will be 6 to 7.30 p.m. 7.30 p.m. Thank you. St. Pius X Parish at 101 Walcott Road. 101 Walcott. Thank you very much. And one last item, um, just to report that, let's see, this is from the Division, Division of Marine Fisheries. 
They have made us some comments on the in expanded environmental notification form, EENF, for MWRA section 22 and 21 water pipeline rehabilita rehabilitation projects in Boston, Milton, and city of Quincy. Okay, so they've got a one, one and a quarter page uh, letter, okay? Was that was that in our packet? I don't think so, John. It was in mine. Oh, it was. Yeah, yeah. this is okay. a December thirtieth letter. December thirtieth uh, letter. Thirtieth. Yeah, I don't. I don't get the packages, so I don't know. Oh, yeah, in. you're right. Yeah, so we've we've got that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Hans. Yep. All right. Any other additional business? Here I just mentioned here. that I'll send the um, DCR announcement. <coughs> Kathy, so that she can distribute it to all members of the Conservation Commission. That's perfect. Thank you. Motion to adjourn. Yes. All in favor? Aye. 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 God bless you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you. Good, good night. Thank you, everyone. Good night, all. Sleep well, everyone. <laughs>